Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to the program. Pinder, apparently the NFL is just completely either ignoring what is happening in the world right now or is hoping that by going on with business as usual, they'll just will the coronavirus situation to go away by the time they start their season in September. More NFL news today as they have uh, officially gone forward and expanded a 14-team playoff, expanding by one team per conference. If there's one league out of all the leagues in North America that is operating as if there's nothing going on right now with COVID-19, that would be the NFL. From free agency to now this, and there might be more news coming forward here. The NFL, yeah, they're operating as if it's business as usual, even though we all know it's anything but business as usual right now. Well, they've got the luxury of a season that doesn't start till what, the end of August, early September, in terms of when the games actually matter. So if you don't have to... You know, cancel anything, why would you? As, as we've said uh, many times before, predicting the future during this thing has been impossible. So until they know dates won't work, why uh, preemptively slow anything down? And I think maybe more to the your point would be their, um, I guess, continual need to have the draft on the same date. That's something that easily could have moved back. And now teams are going to have to get creative with gathering fewer than 10 people in one spot while conducting a draft in a war room that isn't at their yes. facilities. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're, they're humming along. This, this has not affected the NFL's business yet. That's the key word yet. Although, I mean, if uh, I don't think that it's going to be completely, totally all figured out by September and, and definitely training camps and OTAs and that type of stuff. You can't really see how they won't be affected at this point of all the, of all the leagues that, that maybe can a survive this and be from a timing standpoint are in a decent spot to be able to not have their next season or current season affected dramatically. Maybe it is the, maybe it is the NFL just because of, as you talked about, they don't start playing games for real until September and uh, they've got a little bit more time to wait this thing out before things get going. So they do have that luxury. And from a financial standpoint, they've got the luxury of being able to wait it out maybe a little more so than some other teams do as well. But it's, uh, it's just been, you know, the NHL has uh, suspended operations and the NBA suspended operations. The CFL has postponed training camp and uh, Major League Baseball moved back opening day. It's just it's the it's the deviation from the norm. What the NFL is doing. What do you what do you just for a, uh, a fun sports conversation? Because we haven't really had a whole lot of those. Do you like 14 teams? Do you like an expanded playoff format in the NFL? Well, this was the CBA thing that they've they've uh, obviously agreed upon with the players. I think uh, more playoff football is a good thing. Um, I yeah, I don't really have a problem. I have more of an issue with the two extra regular season games they're going to do, and that's not this year, but next, if I'm correct. But they are going to jump to the new playoff format this year. That was the news we had today, essentially, correct? Yeah, and essentially, what happens is there's seven teams that will play playoff football top team in each conference will get one buy so as opposed to the two buys that we've seen right now now just one team gets a buy so six teams will be playing on wild card weekend now they'll have a triple header on saturday and a triple header on sunday two plays mm-hmm. seven three plays 
five, three plays six, four plays five, and then they'll reseed and go into the divisional round uh, the way they normally have. So that's the way it's going to look. Essentially just one more game on wild, wild card weekend. So you're going from having the full slate of games on Sunday uh, into having six games on the first playoff weekend. Like, I'm all for it. Give me another playoff game, absolutely. A triple header on Saturday and a triple header on Sunday of playoff football. That'll be a ratings bonanza for the NFL. It'll be outstanding. Okay. Um, so I'm all for it. Um, I, 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 I get the... Like, I understand the aversion to the regular season games a whole lot more than anybody having a problem with the extra playoff game. Like, the the regular season games and the physical toll that it puts on the body, like, that's an argument that I I think has a whole lot more standing. There's a whole lot more validity to it. The the playoff one's just candy. Like, give me that all day. That, That sounds like it should be a lot of fun. And it's not adding wear and tear. You're not asking a team to play an extra playoff game. All you're doing is subtracting a bye. It's not like, well, now we have to win one more game to win a Super Bowl. No, only if you're a two seed does that even get close to being the truth. So I, I think the the real objection of the 18-game schedule is just this sport just absolutely does incredible damage to the human body and they're lengthening it in a time where all the science out there is saying you should shorten this thing up because, of course, the almighty dollar is what moves the needle for the wealthiest sporting league on earth or at least certainly in uh, in north america as for like last year i'm trying to look and see like what this would mean in the afc the eight and eight steelers would get in they did not uh that would be the extra team that got in titans got that second wild card if i'm correct at nine and seven because mm-hmm. uh, the bills got the first at ten and six and in the nfc the team that would probably be in i think would be the cowboys no it'd be the rams at nine and seven a nine and seven Rams club didn't get in. So those aren't bad teams getting in. Uh, they aren't necessarily threats to topple two seeds, but I don't think that you're adding a bad, like uncompetitive playoff game. We're talking about what 16 teams in each conference. You're still, uh, you know, the, you know, the, if you're the, in the top half, you don't even make the cut if you're an eight, but if a seven, you now get in six used to be it in terms of the overall seed. I like it. And, and for a lot of the, I feel like every third or fourth year we have a weird situation where a really, really crappy team gets in just based on winning their division. That still happens, but yep. it won't happen at the expense of a team that's seventh. Like the Rams having essentially the same record as the Eagles at nine and seven. The Eagles win a division and host a playoff game. Rams don't even get in. Uh, I, I think we're not talking about diluting a, a playoff tournament Uh I think we're talking about adding another key piece of entertainment. And as you said, like who in the world is doing anything but watching NFL for that wildcard weekend, typically really, really good games, game, 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 three games in a day is not crazy. It's exactly what we see every single Sunday. They've added a fourth one Mm -hmm. in regular season when they go and play over in London and early, I call it the, the dad's slot when, kids have you up early, you got football to watch at like seven 30 mountain. I'm all for that one, but Triple header, that, that's not exhausting or stretching anyone's capacity to watch football. It's essentially what we've become accustomed to on Sundays, which is your morning, afternoon, and then a primetime evening slot. Perfect. Boom. Two days in a row. That's that's going to be one of the, the great sporting weekends of the year. No doubt. And and the NFL will love it because that's everybody's going to be tuned in. Everybody will be glued to their television sets. Like, yeah, absolutely. I just used the term television set, which uh, I don't think has been used set. since about 1970 was the last time that 
people called them a television a set. Cathode um, ray tube television. Now you got the color there, Pat. You got the knob you twist for the channels. You got the bunny ears on top. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you just, you know, you're streaming it on some sort of a service or watching it on a computer or, you know, it's all the same now. It's just screens. Is it the one in your pocket, the one on your computer, the one mounted on a wall, or is it multiple? That's kind of where we're at now. Um, so that's the kind of the news of the day from the NFL. They have officially approved a 14-team playoff. And I just like that, you know, it's it's similar to why I really like the expanded wild card in baseball. And while I know a lot of people don't like the fact that one game decides so much after 162 regular season games, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's better than not having it, I just like it because it keeps – a number of teams in it a whole lot longer and, and keeps a group of fans in it a whole lot longer, keeps yep. important baseball on our radar a whole lot longer. And, you know, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, to your point, they would have been the team that got in, in the AFC last year. Like that, that was a great story. Exactly. And it was, it was a frustrating year in a lot of ways for the Steelers. And they lost Roethlisberger so early and, and for so long, it didn't really feel like they were playing meaningful football. And, and on the other side, there's the LA Rams who were in the Super Bowl the year before and had a, a really lackluster season, but turned it up late. And again, that would have kept things interesting in, in the NFC and added one other playoff race to the conversation. I like it for that reason too. It just gives you a little bit more meaningful regular season season football which i think can sometimes be difficult to find depending on the year but sometimes in week 15 16 and 17 you don't have as many of those meaningful games mm -hmm. so if you can add just one more element to give a little bit more yeah i'm all for it i think it's a it's a good thing so i'm looking forward to it i have no idea how the nfl season is going to start when it's going to start or what it's going to look like but if having a 14 start, team playoff if it does start exactly <laughs> having a 14 team playoff I'm uh, definitely all for that. Okay, welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. Here's what's coming up on the program today. Uh, bottom of the hour, 2.30, so in about 20 minutes' time, we're going to check in with Chris Johnston, our NHL insider. Usually he joins us at 3 o'clock, but we're moving him half an hour up because at 3 o'clock we have procured a pretty important guest at 3 o'clock, Mr. Pinder, because tonight we are replaying Game 6, Stanley Cup Final, 1989, in Montreal. We all know what happened that night and uh oh, I, I don't know if we could come up with a better guest to be talking about 1989 and the stanley cup than who we've got at three o'clock yeah his last game in the nhl a 50 goal man a member of the hall of fame and a stanley cup winner his last time he played in the nhl lanny mcdonald the captain of the 89 flames will be joining us at three o'clock can't wait uh, lanny called me this morning uh we had done some back channeling with some other alumni to get a a hold of Lanny to see if he'd come on today. And so I went to pick up uh, our nanny from work. We're getting a little nervous about public transit. I'm like, ah, it's like a five minute drive. I'll go grab the nanny. And sure enough, the phone rings and it's some like unknown number. And I'm like, huh, what are the odds? This is some crappy like recorded automated message center, like call center, whatever. You didn't pay your parking ticket. Like wh what are the odds? It's that. So I normally just ignore any number that I don't recognize. And I'm like, eh, eh what, the, what the heck? I'm driving. Like, it's early. I got nothing going on. My kids are still sleeping. I'm kind of zanning out in the car listening to him. Well, I'll take a call here. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, is this Ryan? It's Lanny McDonald. I'm like, Lanny! 
Hey, how are you? I've never been so happy. I picked up the unknown phone number on the caller ID. So we're jacked to have him. I think he said he had a conference call with the Hockey Hall of Fame today, earlier today, and uh, it, timing works perfectly for 3 o'clock. So how good is that? And uh, yesterday, Logo, you caught up with a, uh, a pretty interesting character as well. Following that at 3.30, we're going to hear from uh, Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe. Tell us about what's coming up at 3.30, Logo. Yeah, lots to uh, talk about in uh, NFL free agency. A guy that uh, has covered Tom Brady for uh, most of his New England career, for sure. And now with Tom Brady on his way to the, the Patriots, kind of the future of uh, what it's going to look like out there for them. And Obviously, uh, Bob Ryan's been a Hall of Fame baseball writer for a number of years, so a little bit of talk about uh, what it's like to miss opening day. Uh, obviously, unprecedented circumstances for a guy who's been covering sports for a long time, so good catch up with him and uh, kind of get an eye on what's been a busy NFL offseason and weird without baseball starting. No doubt. So that's all coming up on the program this afternoon. A um, couple of things from a NHL standpoint, they have extended their self-isolation until April 15th, and I don't really think that is um, all that much of a surprise. Uh, they essentially extended their self-quarantine by another 10 days. According to Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner of Pinder, they're just kind of taking this in chunks and um, taking it as it comes. They, they, as we talked about yesterday and even a little bit today, it's it's so impossible to project what's going to happen and look down the road. So all you can do is kind of go in little segments and, and take it day by day right now. No surprise. Um, I think a lot of businesses are operating under the same sort of plan where it's like, as soon as we get close enough, we know it doesn't work. We'll lop off a little more. We probably understand there's lots more lopping to do, but, no point uh, trying to predict the future more than just a couple of weeks at a time, which uh, is reasonable and is something we've talked about since uh, we were then day one of the sports apocalypse. We're now in day 20 that uh, things seem to change very rapidly when they're changing. You think about, uh, you know, where Quebec was a week ago, where New York city was two weeks ago, where Italy's at now versus where it was. And I mean, things are changing very rapidly. And so the options in front of you, good luck, trying to play something a month down the road just uh understand that short-term multiple decisions is how this thing's going to get ko'd right exactly it's it's really all you can do at this point that's kind of what we're doing here is taking it day by day and and seeing what we can do as the as the days pass and what we can do for content and that type of stuff and right now we're uh going through some classic calgary flames games on your radio station as we mentioned tonight seven o'clock game six from the 1989 stanley cup finals between the flames and the montreal Canadiens at the montreal forum we'll have that game for you it's in its entirety at seven o'clock the morning show had mike vernon on today uh he of course was a huge part of that stanley cup run and as we mentioned, Landy McDonald is coming on at three o'clock. Whatever, uh, whatever happened to the NHL '94 simulations, right? Did we, uh, did we get that done over the weekend? We will do some. Uh, here's the beauty: there, there was a breakup in the in the Flames' schedule. They played Friday against Vancouver, and not again until tonight against, I believe, Winnipeg. I just pulled it up a moment ago. Uh, yeah, they've got Winnipeg at home tonight. And then on Thursday, they'll play Vegas in the penultimate game of the regular season, Pat. Uh, Vegas is going to be tough to find on the NHL 94. I've been yeah, what are you going to do on that one? I think I'm going to go uh, either West or East All-Stars because, I mean, 
if a, an expansion team can make to the Stanley Cup final in year one, it's probably as close to an all-star team as we've ever seen. And then the, will you uh, the, be able course, to beat the, the all-stars? Like, or how how will you it, how will you feel? I shouldn't lose it all ever to the computer, but it really does depend. Like, if my kids give me a wet willy, and if I've got Jeff Reese in net for some reason, but there's no back-to-backs left, so I, I think we'll probably be fine. And then the last game of the season is the Oilers. So really, all we have to do today is update the Vancouver game. So we can do that after Bob Ryan, wink, wink. Well, because it was recorded yesterday is the point that you're trying to make, Mr. Pinder. Let's let's be uh, let's be perfectly honest and forthcoming here on Pinder and Steinberg. Um, How's your got, simulation uh, going, by the way? I'll do I'll do it during Bob Ryan as well. I didn't okay, even remember okay, to yeah. do it. I've got to simulate the Canucks busy, and the Flames time. on NHL 20 with current rosters. Um, I'll do that uh, at the Ooh. same time as Pinder's playing NHL 94, uh, which I believe team the Flames won six in a row right now. Yeah, I'm, I've I just had the schedule in front of me. They opened up with a win against the Islanders at home. They closed that five-game homestand with a loss to Winnipeg. They swept all three in that New York area trip, and they pounded three expansion teams in a row. Tampa, San Jose, Anaheim, all no good in 94. Uh, so a big test against a very, very good Vancouver Canucks team that indeed would play for a Stanley Cup in 1994 against the uh, New York Rangers. Burray, Ronning, Cortnell a dynamic trio up front. Burry is one of the dominant forces in uh, Sega Genesis NHL 94. Yurke Lume, Doug Lidster on the back end. And Kirk McLean not doesn't get a ton of love, but uh, pretty darn good that year. And uh, so we'll, we'll see. Into Pacific Coliseum, how the Flames did on Friday night. What uh, what kept you, you busy on your Coliseum? quarantine Monday yesterday? I believe it was Pacific Coliseum at that time. What kept you, you busy there? on your quarantine Monday? I will. Uh, let's just flush out the Pacific Coliseum. Have you been to that building or not? It's a uh, very different. Have I? Yeah. No, I've never. You have been to be like Pacific Giants hockey, or you were an infant. But yeah. Okay. No, but it's neither. I here believe that's where the Canucks played. I'm looking it up. Right um, now. You know what's happened is like I, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but we're sliding into like night owldom. Like my kids are normally like the eight o'clock bedtime, which means okay, they're being turds, they're, they're slow playing it. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Uh, mommy, put on pajamas, not daddy. Oh, daddy, tuck me in, not mommy. Like they'll do anything to buy an extra five minutes. Normally, there it's like eight thirty, they're down and out. Last night they were up eating toast at ten thirty p.m., which is like the equivalent of pulling an all-nighter if you're like eighteen or nineteen or like a grown adult. So they're just crushing Zeds. I don't think any of the, either of those cats are out of bed till like nine thirty ten this morning, which is sensational. So we're sleeping a lot more. We've been uh, co-quarantining with my sister's family. Uh, so they're both working from home. My wife and I are both working from home. And we kind of alternate nights going back and forth to each other's homes and allow the uh, cousins to play together. And the, the parents, usually we put on some sort of a, a wildlife uh, planet earth type show for the kids and we play cards. So our, our selfishness and actually wanting to complete a game of cards uh, has the kids going to bed later. And it's, it's been fun. I, I think um, we're lucky to have each other. We're lucky that we're not uh, bored stiff on our own. And in fact, we're kind of this eight, eight person posse of, uh, isolators together which is actually not frowned upon at all dr hinshaw our chief medical officer of the province said it's a it's a good tactic if you can tighten that circle and make sure there's no weak links and that you can do that with friends neighbors family whatever it is but you got to make sure that there's uh, there's no weak links in there patty 
Right, which makes sense. Um, I'm just more interested in what time you're going to bed compared to what time I'm going to bed. Yeah, so I'm going to guess for you, you're going to be in between 3 and 4 a.m. right now. Like, you're just that late on, like, a, the late side of a, of a regular night, never mind when we're in pandemic. Uh, probably you'd get scared off before sunlight. But, yeah, I'm, I'm usually in bed between midnight and 1 right now, and it'd usually be, like, 11 to midnight normally. So not much has changed for me. I'm just not getting up as early. I'm sleeping more, which is, I'm okay with that. But uh, I'm, I'm a, are you full vampire? You can't be full vampire because you're doing the show midday. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to be somewhat responsible, but it's hard. Like you're just like, ah, uh, I don't really like it. I can stay up. Like, I can watch someone else on TV or play another game or uh, do another French lesson here. Like, there's no reason to go to bed. I don't know. There's no game tomorrow. Like, it's um, – so I did – I think the last time I checked the clock last night was about – I think it was 2.38 a.m., and I probably – I think I went to bed. I think I was in bed just before uh, just before 3 a.m. when it was all said and done uh, because I – you got me into a Star Wars, uh, Star Wars yes. rabbit hole yesterday. I was like, I got to yeah. watch – I got to watch Rogue One, so I started watching Rogue One at about 1.11 a.m. is when I hit play on that Jeez. sucker. And then I was like, ah, I could finish it here, but if I finish it, I'm going to bed closer to 4. So I'm going to put on pause the final 40 minutes, and I'll watch it tomorrow. So I, I watched up until the final 40 minutes. I found a good spot to pause it at, and I'll go back, and I'll, I'll finish watching it later on tonight. So I was in bed before 3 technically this morning i guess is the way it would go and and i was actually pretty happy about that what uh what time do you, are you climbing out of the wrapper do you have an alarm or is it just whenever the light wakes you up what's going on yeah when I, like i my I, I set my alarm for 10 after 9 um like during in in hockey season my alarm takes a lot to wake me up so i've got an alarm at 8 i've got an alarm at 8:30 and one at 9:10 just so that i don't go crazy on the uh uh, like I don't sleep through three of them, so I, I will get up at some point. But usually I'm usually I'm up at around eight thirty um, on a in in hockey season. But right now, like what? So I'm not I'm not getting up if I don't have to. Are you kidding me? Like, you know what? I'll check my phone. Nothing there. Kirsch doesn't need to call me. There's no uh, there's no conference call. There's nothing I need to get up for. I'm back to bed until ten. Uh, like the oh, no kids, I don't have to take care of twins. Like, what else am I gonna do? This is if you're gonna be in the sports apocalypse doing sports radio, you might as well take the the simple wins when you can get them. And sleeping till ten, that's a simple win. Doing lots of art, Pat. We uh, we've been doing a couple animals a day, putting them up on the walls. The house is turning into a zoo. So the peacock went up today. We got a giraffe that's in the works. Uh, T-Rex is up there. It's, uh, it's falling, turning into like full art class here at the Maison du Pinder. So that's, uh, that's the update here. And we're still halfway through a new hope, which is the original star Wars episode four. Uh, haven't yet refired that up with the boys, but they're jacked up after doing the, uh, the star Wars Lego and listening to the star Wars themes as we work on lego so uh probably tonight solid work tomorrow, on uh we'll finish that out solid work on maison de pinder although it's much easier to say shea pinder that uh, means pinder's place uh shea pinder is, yeah i just that, always think that of can the mean piece of furniture at pinder's place yeah. that's a good point like it's like you can say 
you can use shape hinder in so many different ways i've found out like uh it just means that i'm going to that person's place or i'm at that person's place it's a very universal term so oh, uh, okay. but I, I the house of pinder also works as well if you want to go down that road uh chris johnston our nhl insider joins us coming up next we do have uh, some nhl news to get to he's staying on top of the very slim pickings the scraps of news that we have cj's on top of it uh he'll let us know why some players want to jump right into the playoffs and some don't and uh what the nhl's plan is when it comes to biting these self-quarantine chunks off 10 days at a time cj next pinder and steinberg's underway sportsnet 960 the fan Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. All right, we are joined by Chris Johnston, our NHL insiders you just heard. CJ, uh, these uh, crazy and uncharted times continue. How are you holding up? What's going on in Toronto? Not a whole lot. I'm uh, I'm kind of in one here. It's uh, we've had some crappy weather, so even when I've been getting outside, it hasn't been too pleasant. And to be honest, this is all feeling a little bit heavier the longer it goes on. And uh, you know, the more I'm, I'm talking to people, you just get the feeling um, that there's sort of a, a feeling of dread in the air. So I'm trying to to fight that off, but you know, I can't deny that there, there's uh, a little bit around uh, the conversation right now. I feel like yesterday was a tough day for people and maybe it was, you know, regionally specific. You mentioned it's not great weather in Toronto. Yesterday was cold and we got, got drilled with an afternoon storm of snow. Um, and <laughs> then it was just sort of the realization of like, oh yeah, another week of this and there's no end in sight. Uh, that's, uh, I feel like Mondays are still crappy days, even in this, uh, what day is it of the week pandemic, right? For sure. And, and look, I, you know, I don't know how much people out there are thinking about, you know, where would I be now if this hadn't happened, but we would be in the final week of the regular season right now. And so anyone still that's of a sporting mind and, and certainly a hockey fan or is connected to the game, you know, as we are professionally, you, you know, you're just thinking of how great this week would, would normally be um, if all this hadn't happened. And, and it just feels as though, you know, we're only getting started uh, to be honest. So um you know, I, I don't know, I don't know the answer for us all, but uh, you know, we're all in it together. I guess that's that's the one silver lining here. Uh, it's a big week for the Flames. Jets tonight at home, then Vegas on Thursday, and they wrap the regular season Saturday night on Hockey Night with the Oilers. So we're pumped about uh, the games that would have been being played if uh, this wasn't the case. It is rough that way, isn't it? Yeah, it would have been uh, would have been a fun week. I mean, and. and you know, I had every expectation we were going to see, especially in the Pacific, but, you know, even league-wide, that we were going to see some some pretty tight playoff races right down into these couple days. And, and we'd obviously be pretty focused on that uh, right now. And, you know, probably was going to go down to Saturday, even just to determine who plays whom in, in the first round, uh, because the, the standings were so bunched when, when everything paused three weeks ago. So, um, you know, I guess at some point we'll get past thinking about this. You know, obviously it's the NHL comes to a decision at some point to, to say the season's canceled and then it won't be an everyday kind of, where are we going? What's, what's possible. You know, I think that might clear out some of the uncertainty here, but um, you know, obviously, you know, I don't know if you just saw, but the, the city of Toronto just uh, canceled all events through June 30th. I mean, it just feels like 
these dates that that the decisions are being made on are further and further and further in the future and that's that's kind of supposed to be the light at the end of the tunnel i guess yeah yeah and here we're kind of looking at the early july event that is on everyone's calendar and puts calgary on the map for a lot of people the stampede is uh very much something that we're worried about could it for the first time ever not happen uh it's this is getting very real and a very long-term view moving forward Let's get to uh, some news. The Players Association and the league have agreed on a HRR total from last season, hockey-related revenue. And from that, uh, what happens to the escrow money the league collected last year is determined. Maybe walk us through what's happened for last year and I suppose try to untangle the knot of what would happen to this season's revenue uh, given it's going to be a massive shortfall and what kind of a mess that creates for next year. Well, in a bubble, this is good news for the players because they're getting back uh, basically 3% of their paychecks from the 2018-19 season, uh, you know, money that was withheld from them at the time they were paid to to make sure that, that everything works out 50-50 in terms of, uh, you know, what the, the owner's take of revenues and what the, the player's total sum is. So, you know, guys will be getting some, some money back in addition to these final couple paychecks that they've gotten since the season's been paused. You know, I think we're... The downside of this comes in is that it's hard to not, you know, think about what's just happened for the 2019-20 season uh, in which 14% of players' checks were were taken um, right through till now. There's one paycheck actually remaining April 15th for players from from this season, and there's still an ongoing discussion among the players, but but likely they're going to end up giving back a whole lot more than 14% on that one to try to start making up for some of the the difference that's going to apply here, you know, maybe as much as 50%. I've been told they might get back on the last check, but you know, the reality is if the season's done, depending on whose numbers you believe it's anywhere from 1 billion to 1.2 billion uh, of, of the league's total revenue for this season that will be lost. And, you know, in, in what's supposed to be a $5 billion season this year, that's anywhere from 20% to a little bit more. And, and I think that, you know, as we cast forward, there's, there's a number of ways the league will probably, and the players will, will, will talk about maybe accounting for that. You know, I've heard some talk about, you know, maybe you keep the salary cap flat for the next four or five years, um, you know, to allow essentially the system to catch up to itself. You, you cap escrow uh, and it's almost like a deferred payment back to the owners. If, if you think of it that way, you know, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it, if, if it isn't done, if it isn't handled in a special way, which I do think is certainly possible. I mean, players could be giving back, you know, 30 or 35 percent of their paychecks next year. Um, just because of, you know, making up for the, the, the difference in, in where the revenues were at and, and, you know, may also have to pay back for this season because the 14% that's been taken to this point, it's pretty clear, even if there's a resumption to the schedule, you know, they're going to owe back more than that for this year. Yeah. And it's, geez, that's, that's a huge, I mean, if escrow was the biggest issue for players before and they weren't happy about 14%, a 30 year paycheck. That's, that's a devastating number. And that's, that's scary stuff. And from well, a general manager point why, of though, view, we, we should say, Ryan, though, that there probably is going to be a labor agreement out of this. I mean, yeah. if, if we're looking for silver linings to be found is I think there's going to be, there's, there's very likely to be a creative solution to not have it be 30%. I mean, obviously the month, the equivalent of that 30% is going to have to be paid in some way, shape or form. It'll probably be spread out over multiple years and, and made a little bit more palatable that way. Um, but I do think, you know, that, that we're, we're very likely to see the league and the players just through these circumstances have to, um, you know, work together in a way they don't, you know, they haven't always done in the past and, and 
you know, who knows, we might get a seven or eight year CBA extension out of it. I mean, there's, there is the possibility here for some, some positive news, but, you know, right now it's, it's hard not to think of the negative stuff, like the fact that the business is taking such a huge hit and that's going to be shouldered by both the players and the owners. Chris Johnson joining us, our NHL insider Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. One quick more, one more for me before I pass you to Patty, just if we're looking at a flat cap moving forward, do you think there's a push from ownership or GMs or the league to to have another amnesty buyout, given that everyone's worked under the premise that the cap will only grow and never shrink and even staying flat seems to be like going backwards? Would, do you see that as another solution? There's a lot of teams that can't really afford to, a flat cap with, with the, the raises they need and the obligations they already have. Yeah, I, I could see that being part of it. I mean, you know, it's it's not even great always for owners to have those amnesty buyouts because, yeah, they don't count on, on your cap or in the system, but it's still money you have to pay uh, to players not to play for your team. You know, I, I believe there's two last time around, correct me if I'm wrong on that, uh, when when the, the deal was reached in 2012-13. And, you know, part of that was just to transition again from contracts that had already be given out and give teams a chance to, to reset the books a little bit. And, you know, I, I could definitely see that coming into play here just because, you know, especially if they're agreeing for multiple seasons down the road, uh, which, you know, it's not done, but I just think it, it's certainly an idea that some influential people in the industry have thought about or are talking about that I've caught wind of is the idea it could be three or four years or even beyond with the same uh, threshold at, at the top of the salary cap. Um, you know, I think that that's one way to do it because, you know, even teams that have given out six or seven or eight year contracts in recent years have done so in, until March 11th with the thought that, you know, that the cap will continue to rise because that's what it's done historically ever since it was created back in 2005. I mean, in every single year it's gone up. Um, but, you know, clearly we've, we've reached a point where this isn't like any other year that that's happened before, you know, in the salary cap era. And so, you know, I think that amnesty buyouts could definitely be part of it. I think that you, you'll likely see ownership push for the players not to be able to get, say, say signing bonuses in, in their contracts or, or have, you know, the kind of, you know, years like, you know, some of the, the, the big signings the Leaps have made, like Tavares is making a $15 million signing bonus right now. I think that you'll see stuff like that potentially eliminated and just have the money spread a little bit more evenly uh, throughout the course of the contracts. CJ, have you been able to, you talked about the hit that the business is taking right now. Have you been able to um, wrap your head around or pinpoint like what type of dollar figure we're talking about, dollar figures we're talking about and projections uh, if the NHL comes back here or there or doesn't come back in terms of what the business hit here is? Well, the one thing I haven't been able to get a good number on from anybody, and I've certainly been asking is, you know, if they are able to jump back into the playoffs and they do so without fans, which looks like you know, it's going to have to be the case if, if this is even possible at all, you know, what do they stand to gain back? Uh, because if you're talking about a $1 billion to $1.2 billion loss, if there's no season at all, I mean, I don't even know how much could be clawed back just by playing games essentially on television. And, um, you know, so kind of leads me to think, all right, maybe they can get back a couple hundred million out of that. But, I mean, either way, we're, we're still talking about you know, revenue numbers that haven't been seen in a long time in the NHL uh, because the league has grown. Now, you know, there are some other things on the horizon here with the, the US TV deal that we've talked about. Uh, the fact that Seattle is, is, you know, a year away from joining the league and, and you know, should be a, a pleasant news story and, and a, you know, another big market to add that, that can be making money the way we saw Vegas a few years back when they came in expansion. So, 
you know, I think that there's there's some things on the horizon that, that can give the league some confidence. They'll they'll be in a position to grow the revenues once you get through this this period where COVID nineteen is is wreaking havoc with, with all the sports leagues and many industries beyond the the one that we cover. Um but you know, it, it seems like at minimum it's a twenty percent hit, you know, a billion dollars right now and, and you know, I, I don't really know how much you're getting back with T V. Obviously, you know, I guess we should should ask my bosses what the, how the TV deals work exactly, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm guessing that you know that, that Sportsnet isn't having to pay the full bill this year uh, for the rights fees if there is no playoffs, and so you know between that and the deal they have with NBC, you know that there's probably at least some TV money to be regained. I think there's something symbolic about getting back. I don't think it's implausible to think that there'll be interest just because we've been without sports. Although I don't know how we're all going to feel in July and August. Maybe not everyone's going to want to sit around the TV at night after we've been in the houses so much, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a big number, uh, even if they get games in and, and if they don't, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge loss for the league. The news of the day from the NHL, I, I don't know if this could be considered a surprise, but they have extended the self-quarantine or self-isolation period to April 15th. Tell us a little bit more about what this means and, and how the NHL is approaching this in, in kind of short-term increments. Yeah, essentially, I mean, I would would put money if we could bet on such a thing on it moving again before the the, the self quarantine period's lifted. You know, essentially, what the league has done because you know the spread of this virus changes so much from time to time. You know, the league has basically set these little targets. Originally, it was March 27th, and it was moved to April 4th, which is later this week, and then now it's been pushed to April 15th, and and you know that's allowing them to to kind of bite it off in chunks and to you know get 10 more days you know from now to you know, somewhere around April 10th or 11th, probably when they'll make a decision on what they're doing with the 15th. Uh, you know, they can see how this thing is spreading, if there's any evidence of it, um, you know, flatlining in terms of the, the curve of, of COVID-19 and, and just get a feeling, I guess, of some progress is being made. And until that progress is there, you know, I think you're going to continue to see this this self-quarantine window push back. And, you know, why it's significant right now is, you know, April 15th, you know, that's more than a month from, from March 12th when the pause came into effect. You know, I'd say for a very large percentage of NHL players that have been observing that self-quarantine window that, that they haven't been on skates in that, that time and, you know, have no reasonable prospect to. I know a few of the guys uh, that have traveled over to Europe, to Sweden specifically, where they, they haven't enacted the same kind of rules we've seen here. I know that, that some of the Swedish guys have been on the ice, uh, you know, as part of the training they're able to do right now. But, you know, in general... You know, you're looking at at least a month where most of the league is is going to not be doing that, and obviously that will factor in any potential return to play scenario. Is just how long uh, the guys need to get their conditioning up and and be on the ice and and all those things. And you know, let's face it, it's possible that this disease and 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 or this virus rather and and the decisions made by the government and the health organizations might take all this out of the league's hands anyway, and maybe they'll have to postpone the season. But right now, when they're still trying to keep the light on, you know, those are sort of significant benchmarks and you know really what this tells me is you've got another 10 or 11 days where very little is is expected to change you know in terms of what the players can do and what the league is hoping and uh, we just got to hope you know maybe in 10 or 11 days that there's a better feeling around this thing and they're able to at least start to chart a path back you uh you said kind of right off the offset that you know it, there's there's kind of a grim feeling right now is that is is that 
related specifically to what you're hearing out of NHL circles right now, just that maybe the the optimism level isn't as high now as, as it was even last week? Yeah, I think that that's it's, – it's that feeling. And, and you know, look, at some of it might just be my mood. I mean, like you guys, I've been <laughs> at home now for 18 or 19 days. I mean, it's not all bad, but, you know, it, it's, it's still such a huge adjustment from what I would call normal life or what I'm used to. That, that part of it could be me, but, you know, I do think that it gets a little heavier as you get deeper into it. I mean, you, you start with a good mindset, you start thinking this might not be so bad, and then the, the more things that are getting canceled and the more the dates are getting pushed back, I think, you know, people are starting to feel like the, the chances of the return are, are getting a little bleaker and getting a little more distant. And, you know, for, for some of us, that, that was, you know, at least, you know, a potential uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, even if it was a weird playoff, it might still be kind of cool what, what kind of tournament they could come up with, you know, the idea of getting back and, and seeing the games. You know, I, I think that would have been a positive thing. It's just starting to feel less and less likely. And, and um, you know, so I think that that's part of it. And I, and I do think, in, uh, you know, as the industry, everyone understands this. Everyone understands that, that that's, you know, becoming a little bit tougher of a reality to imagine. And let's face it, there's no... Well, no meaningful sports anywhere in the world right now, I guess, other than esports that are being played anywhere. So, you know, it's um, you know it's a strange time. And as I say, maybe the the weather will get nicer here. The snow will stop flying in Calgary yesterday afternoon, and uh, we'll all feel a little bit better in, in the days to come. You, uh, your one of your latest pieces up at uh, Sportsnet.ca is, and and I find it interesting because we've heard kind of different differing thoughts on this and i know that you've been on most of the little zoom conferences the nhl has done over the last few days and you know connor mcdavid in the pacific division one last week basically said that he doesn't think it's fair if the nhl jumps right into the playoffs and and they should probably try to do some regular season hockey first ovechkin and crosby say might be fun to jump right into the playoffs what's what's your feel on i, I know that ideal doesn't really exist right now but what's your feel on on the ideal way that um the nhl would like to to structure things if they're able to structure things in any given way well i think there's a general understanding that the regular season is is done and you know there's still there's still some ways maybe to do this i mean maybe you hold sort of quote-unquote exhibition games involving some of the teams that are getting started back up and just in terms of getting in some of the reps that the players might want to get in before jumping into, you know, game one of the battle of Alberta or something like that, which I think is what Connor was saying. He just was having trouble imagining going from this period right into, you know, the way that that series would feel and, and be, and I think he said it'd be Bakersfield Stockton at some point. If yeah. with all the injuries, I guess is what he was meaning there. If it started that way, um, you know, but I, I do think it's, it's unlikely, highly unlikely that, the league's going to try to force every team back and, and make them go through training camps or something like that. You know, it just seems as though the the smaller the window is going to get here for them to play. And to me, I mean, look, I don't know what the city of Toronto's announcement bearings has on the entire league, but if certainly if other NHL cities start following suit and June 30th is the new date that you can't hold events before, I mean, you're, you're start, you're already talking about the earliest they could start is July 1st for a playoff, just based on what, you know, potentially what some of these jurisdictions that the league plays in are, are saying is allowed, you know, where they are. So, um, you know, we might already be looking at July 1st as the best case scenario to start the playoffs. It just feels as though they're not going to, you know, waste any time with the remaining regular season games. I don't think there's going to be even a, 
a reasonable chance to try to get everybody to say the same number, 74, or pick what what you've mm-hmm. had. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, while those decisions haven't been made officially or communicated, I, I just think there is a, a general understanding at this point that it, if if the, the league can return, that it's probably straight into a playoffs out of the training camps, which maybe include an exhibition game or some sort of scrimmage thing. You know, I, I get what the players want ideally, but let's face it, this is, you know, this is such a strange, unprecedented sort of event that, that I think getting anything in at this point would, would be ranking as a bit of a success. Chris Johnson is our NHL insider, joins us from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I have no idea how we spent 20 minutes actually talking about the business of the sport. That's uh, that's incredible and a huge. <laughs> I, feel like, I, I usually like together. to be a ray of light, but I've just been like a big yeah. Debbie Downer here. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's honest. <laughs> it's not right. pretending everyone's going to be back to work by Easter. I know that. Um, we asked Elliot Who yesterday. Who would have done that? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, no one's that stupid. Fiction. Come on. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Elliot Friedman told us about three books he was reading that he's into. What has uh, helped you spell the time? What, what's something you can recommend to anyone that's just twiddling the skin off their thumbs right now? Well, Elliot, the academic, is doing much better t- things with his time than I am, it sounds like. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've largely been trying to, to get some exercise uh, making my own food, which I don't get to do a lot during the season, and then watching some Netflix. So I just got through the Tiger King. I, I can't say I yes. recommend it. Um, <laughs> I didn't hate it, but I, you know, I got to the end of it, and it felt a little bit. It's sort of like eating junk food, where you're excited ahead of time, you're enjoying it during, yeah. and then you get to the end, and there's like an empty feeling. Uh, that, that's yeah. kind of more of like an about. uncomfortable feeling, hey? Yeah, and like there's no winners, and I was kind of hoping they all went down, and, and without giving anything away, and. Anyway, it was it was a weird show, but um, I'll happily take any advice you guys have because I'm I'm currently showless at the moment. I'm in the process of rewatching the all of the Star Wars with my kids who have seen half of the, uh, New Hope, the 1977. So that uh, that leaves a lot of canvas ahead of us. So we're we're, we're good. We're doing Star Wars You're Lego and starting in Episode One. <laughs> I don't know if I am or not. <laughs> I sometimes. Were you a uh, were you a Breaking Bad fan, CJ? I I never actually saw much of it. I saw a little bit of it, but um, I don't know. I'm agnostic on that show. I'd give it a, I'd give it another that. try because you could you can binge it and you can get through the slow first few episodes and really get into the action. And most people once they get through the first four or five episodes, they're hooked because it really starts to get good. And you can do that and go right into the uh, Better Call Saul companion show that comes after that. That would be uh, that would be my recommendation. That'll kill off a, a good chunk of time for you. Perfect. Well, I've got the real estate ahead of me here to to devote to that. So. But, uh, I'll start on that, and we'll we'll talk next time we talk. Thursday, we expect a report card for episodes <laughs> one through four of Breaking Breaking Bad. Good stuff. We'll See chat you again. Maybe I'll bring a better mood by then. <laughs> Just See you, pal. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Uh, Chris CJ. Johnson CJ's brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. That wasn't the old pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, was it, Pat? No, but there was honesty there. And I think that's important. Look, it's I important. Mean, yeah. Right now, 
as as much as we want positive news about the NHL or the NBA or the CFL or the NFL or Major League Baseball or whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is the positive news I want to hear is that we're continuing to have low numbers of new infections in Alberta and numbers are going, you know, I, I want to hear about numbers and deaths going down in Italy. I want to see Italy get on top of it. Like, these are the things that are the good news items. Like Pierre Lebrun just tweeted out a picture of a waiting room in Italy. And for the first time in months, it's a, an empty waiting room in Italy. Those, those are the good news stories that I want to hear right now more than anything else. Let's be honest. Sports is still secondary and, and we are, a sports radio station talking a little bit of sports and we're doing our best to you know have a distraction for you but in reality um the the sports is secondary and the sports leagues can only do so much here and i think we all realize that uh, it's it's probably not even a 50 50 shot that the nhl is back and, and able to award a stanley cup this year that'll be a pleasant surprise that'll be a nice companion to much more important and much better news Patty, I've got more good news. It may be 20 days away, but there's something that's going to save us for a while. We'll tell you what that is when we come back. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we're back. It's Pinder and Steinberg for another couple moments before we bring on the Hall of Famer, Lanny McDonald. Pat, you said we're pretty thin, leaning on uh, actual sports items to sink our teeth into. Get ready to feast your eyes on the last dance, April 19th. It is the Michael Jordan swan song, the miniseries uh, on his final days in the NBA. That's going to air on Netflix. So we, we, we have 20 days to go, Pat, until we've got some real sports content. That'll be must-watch stuff. And also, I would absolutely um, – suggest you go if you're looking for sports content on netflix i'm jacked for the michael jordan documentary and then you got to check out season two or season one if you haven't seen it but the first two seasons of f1 drive to survive just the access the behind the scenes it's even if you're not a racing fan you'll be interested by it i'm a huge you know i'm an f1 nerd but even if you're not yes f1 drive to survive solid stuff and of course if you haven't seen the aaron hernandez that's another one that's popped up that i've had uh written down for a while. There's lots of good stuff there. Uh, 1989, good year for sports in Calgary. We go right down memory lane with the captain of the Stanley Cup champions, Lanny McDonald, the Hall of Famer, when we come back. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, we got another blast of winter. There's no end in sight in terms of isolating COVID-19 continuing to wreak havoc on the sports world, the economy, businesses everywhere. But I got a sneaking suspicion our next guest is going to bring a smile to your face. Hall of Fame hockey player and human in 1989, Stanley Cup champion, Lanny McDonald. Lanny, how are you? Well, I'm as good as I can possibly be under the circumstances. And yes, maybe uh, uh, someone was sending us a message throwing a little bit uh, more snow and cold weather our way to make sure people abide by uh, social distancing <laughs> and staying inside. That's uh, that's one positive. I think uh, no one's keen to run out to the park right now, though they're all closed anyway. Uh, how have you been holding up? Have you got a routine going? Have you found some normalcy in this weird time? 
I don't think there is normalcy uh, in in this time. Uh, Ardell and I have been uh, caregivers uh, and uh, loving grandparents to our three-year-old and six-year-old since this started uh, two and a half weeks ago. And uh, we get them every day today because I had a board meeting with the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, my son-in-law took uh, the morning off so that I could get through the board meeting. And, yeah, it it has been a whole lot of fun on that front. Uh, and when you have a three- and a six-year-old uh, going uh, hell-bent for the leather, uh, you don't have time to worry about a uh, whole lot of other things. So, you know what? It's been an absolute blast. We we set up an obstacle course downstairs, uh, and uh, there's jumping, there's ball throwing. Uh, you got to crawl under obstacles. Uh, we're going to make the most of it, and when it's warming up, we go out and slide uh, outside, and yeah, it's it's been wonderful to have Reese and Evan around while mom and dad try and make sense uh, of the airline business. No kidding. Uh, I could see that sort of looking like an American gladiator set, set up in the basement. You're, you're grooming some future Olympians in a sport that's yet to, to be formed, right? Well, I, I remember uh, my brother, who was four years older than me, uh, letting me play hockey and all kinds of sports, baseball uh, with his friends. And he had two rules. Uh, there's no whining. And if you can't keep up, you're out of the game. And so three-year-old Reese uh, has the benefit right now of uh, trying to track down his uh, bigger brother. And uh, he is running like a deer these days. And we are laughing as much as we can. I love it. We've been uh, playing some of the, the vintage sports games, be it on Sportsnet TV or radio. We're going to get into uh, a World Series run from the Blue Jays next week on these airwaves. We've been playing this week a lot of the, the great games from that 1989 run. We chatted with a bunch of your teammates. The morning show had Mike Vernon on today. We chatted with Colin Patterson last week, Joel Otto yesterday. But your persona and your, I guess, role on that 89 team was a very interesting one and an immensely successful career, but you also weren't at the peak of your playing days. In fact, uh, it was the last game you played where you hoisted the Stanley Cup. Walk us through that 89 run through your eyes because it would be very different than a lot of the other players' experience. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting in your career when you first start out, you're fighting for ice time, uh, trying to find your way, trying to get comfortable and get your confidence. And when your career is just about over, it's interesting because you're fighting for ice time, you're fighting uh, for finding out where you fit in and what role you play. And uh, I didn't play, I think I only played about uh, 50 uh, games that year uh, and certainly not all of them in the playoffs, but uh, when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, you do whatever it takes as a team player uh, to find a role. And uh, you, you know what? It was a fantastic year when you think about, I think it was March 7th, uh, I scored my 1,000th goal, uh, March uh, 21st. Uh, and I could be wrong on these dates, uh, March 21st, uh, 500th goal. And then less than two and a half months span, uh, you get uh, the hat trick, uh, 
thousand points, five hundred goals, and Stanley Cup, and you walk away and say, "Yeah, baby, that was a hell of a ride." No kidding. Lanny McDonald joining us on Pinder and Steinberg, Stanley Cup champion in nineteen eighty nine with the Flames. Lanny, so take us through your mindset in Game Six. I think Patter told the story on Friday where you uh, talked to him on the bench or just before the game. Said, "I think I'm going to score tonight." You hadn't played since <laughs> I believe Game Two of the series. So, did, what was your mindset going into Game Six, knowing that you know you could you could win it all that night? Well, you know, I, I as you mentioned, I didn't play Game Three, Four, or Five. Um, and wasn't sure if I was going to play uh, game six. I was sitting in the dressing room, and Patter and I loved to sit together. We had a great friendship, still do. Uh, and and some of the boys, I'm not that old, but some of the boys tease Patter that he's my adopted son, um, and, and I'm going to claim him on income tax this year, so hopefully that works. Uh, but uh, we were sitting there, uh, in the dressing room, and we were talking about he got this new batch of sticks, these new Hesplers, that every stick weighed about 30 pounds each. We begged him not to, you know, play with them, keep the old ones. And no, he was he was doing a favor for a buddy, and sure enough, uh, he goes and scores the first goal. And as we were sitting there before the game, I said, you know, I scored my very first goal here in the Montreal Forum, it would be pretty cool to score my last goal here if that's the way it works out uh, and walk away with the Stanley Cup. And Patter and I uh, threw uh, knuckles at each other and and said, okay, let's go do it. And sure enough, both of us score. You walk away uh, with the Stanley Cup, the only team to ever win it in Montreal, which is a feat in itself. And I'm still so grateful to the fans in Montreal. They, they had never seen anyone, if you can imagine, win the cup before on their ice. And they stayed and applauded a great series. And, and man, was it cool. And what a, what a great plane ride home. We, we've uh, Patter told the story on Friday. I've, I've heard the story many times from, from different guys on that team. But you guys... Uh, you guys went through some beverages as you made your way to the airport and made your way back to Calgary, hey? Well, we certainly did. Uh, uh, L. Murray, uh, our assistant trainer, Bearcat's son, uh, had had uh, figured out that uh, he could he could borrow from uh, the customs people a set of uh, uh, bolt cutters and. He could get the Stanley Cup up the back door of the airplane. Uh, it was one of those that had a front entrance and a back one. And he said, should I bring it up on board? And, and uh, I think the captains were all there, and we all said, absolutely. So we shielded it, put a uh, out-of-order sign on the bathroom, and uh, about half an hour from uh, the time we took off the the pilot came on and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest. If you turn around and, and look, uh, oh, and by the way, congratulations on winning the Stanley Cup. And everyone turns around and El Murray brings the Stanley Cup uh, out of uh, the bathroom. Well, the place went crazy. 
We tried to talk Cliff Fletcher into landing the plane in Winnipeg to get more booze. Uh, we were <laughs> desperately running a little short. Uh, and then we got off the plane in Calgary. He didn't fall for it, uh, by the way. We got off the plane in Calgary, and there's <laughs> like 15,000 people uh, waiting for us. Uh, we were in uh, different stages of disarray. Ties were cut. Uh, 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 clothes were half-ripped. It didn't really matter. Uh, uh, we were carrying the Stanley Cup, and everyone got to celebrate. Yeah. Did you, like at that time, even going into game six, like were you pretty sure that however the season was going to end, that was going to be it for you? Or did that decision come after you won in game six? You know, I, I didn't really think about it. Uh, like all I was trying to do is concentrate and find a way to help uh, the team win. And I think I retired officially on August 28th, and I I look back and I I know that it took me that whole summer. I had a couple opportunities uh, to do something uh, else, and decided. I always loved the way Jean Beliveau, uh retired in Montreal. Uh, speaking of Montreal, uh, he could have played another four years like he was one of the top scorers he won won the cup i think in 71 and walked away and i always thought oh my gosh what a cool way to end your career mind you he'd already won i think uh, seven or eight stanley cups so it, it was totally different than than mine but uh at the end of the summer it just made more sense you know what uh walk away uh 16 years was a hell of a run and time to move on with the next phase of my life. The, I, I don't know if in the moment you would have been able to think about it when you scored that go ahead goal in game six, but looking back, is it almost kind of like, yeah, you know, whether it's a higher power or karma or whatever you decide to believe in, there is something meant to be that night in Montreal. Well, there was a higher power because I got back to the bench and the guys were all mobbing me. I wanted that higher power to end the game right then. Like, okay, get it over <laughs> with. Let's not take a chance. Because um, at that time, I think we went up two to one. And yep. uh, obviously, we had quite a bit uh, of time to uh, play. And uh, speaking of Colin Patterson, uh, Colin Patterson, Dougie Gilmore, and and uh, Joey Mullen were a phenomenal uh, line all the way through the playoffs, but especially in that final game. And and those guys scored three out of the four goals. Uh, the whole team played uh, awesome, uh, but to to win in Montreal form and to to win against a great team and kind of get, uh, uh, we'll call it even, uh, after losing in 86, uh, I guess that was really meant to be. So the the, the final thing that, that I wanted to ask you about that, that 1989 run, and it's funny, we were talking to Joel Otto yesterday because we played Game 7 of the first-round series with the Flames and Vancouver Canucks, and he obviously oh. scored that Game 7 overtime winner and kind of asked him about, 
Well, from that point forward, the team only lost three more games, a sweep, a five-game, and a six-game series win. Vancouver pushed you as hard as it possibly can be, and, and they were that close to pulling off a, a massive upset. What changed from that point forward after you got out of the Smythe Division semi and and were past the Canucks and past round one? What clicked for the group in your eyes? Well, if you look at, uh, at the way the league is set up uh, these days and even back then, uh, everyone's kind of healthy when you go into that first round. And I think back uh, then in that first round, you played four games in five nights. Uh, uh, But even if you didn't, by the time the seventh game came around, you were totally exhausted. There wasn't a whole lot left. And and I think about uh, uh, game seven and and the breakaway with with Stan Smeal, uh, in overtime, uh, the one-timer by Tony Tanti and the one-timer on Patrick Squico that Mike Vernon made uh, was like a godsend. And then all of a sudden, uh, we score a very legitimate goal, I might add, with uh, with Pepinots. And, and there was such a relief that you got through it. And then uh, the very next... Uh, next series against LA and playing against Gretzky and, and uh, uh, they had a very good uh, club as well. And they, they tried to get physical with us. And, and I remember the, we had a couple of uh, barn burner brawls uh, in the middle of that. And uh, yeah, it it was fun, uh, especially after we got through that first round to find a way to, 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 beat an old nemesis in Gretzky and get that behind us. And now we're on our way And Chicago, even though it took uh, five games, uh, they were tough games, but nothing like that first series. And then, okay, Montreal, uh, we owe you one. Here we come. He is Lanny McDonald, 1989 Stanley Cup champion and uh, absolute Calgary Flames legend joining us here on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. Lanny, it's so neat watching you interact with your teammates from that 1989 squad. And we get to see you guys around the community because of all the great work you do with, uh, you know, the Flames alumni. And I just can't help but ask you the, the, the greatest chicken and egg question there is, which is, did you guys win because you loved each other so much? Or do you love each other so much because you won? Because there is just something about a championship bond that can't be replicated. I think when you win something, uh, you, you can be apart for years and come back together. And we experienced that uh, on the 25th anniversary, uh, and it was so cool. But to have eight of the guys live uh, here in the city and making our uh, Flames alumni, the Calgary Flames NHL alumni, so we invited people that would never get back to Philadelphia or or New York or, or Florida into our uh, alumni. And it has been uh, the saving grace and made us that much stronger. We have about 150 uh, alumni uh, in our uh, alumni association. We have, I think, 55 to 58 that played for the Calgary Flames. And to have those eight guys that live in the city, uh, even if you get two or three or especially uh, four at 
at different events. And at all major events uh, that the Flames put on or the alumni puts on, all eight of those guys are there. And it is so cool uh, to be a part of that. Uh, we have way too much fun together. Uh, we did social, uh, 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 what the heck's it called? Uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, where where you have a, a party from afar. A oh, Socially distanced I'm having party, a huh? brain cramp. Um, <laughs> And so anyway, we had happy hour the other night. Uh, we had six alumni on and our wives, uh, and it was hilarious. So we all toasted each other, and it was pretty cool. That is awesome. Laddie, uh, great stuff from you. I know Pat's got another one to send you on your way, but uh, just love going down memory lane with you guys in 1989. I hope you've, you've caught the game a few times since. I know it's been on TV a bit. Have you seen it? You know, I have never seen it, but I could. I've seen the highlights of it. I have never sat down and watched the whole game. In fact, how cool is this? Daryl Sittler called me. Uh, my buddy uh, uh, Daryl called me the other day and said, uh, uh, "Mac, y- you got to turn on uh, on the game. Uh, they're replaying the game, uh, game six. And he said all of his buddies were texting him back and forth and saying, "Wow, like." Look at this. How cool is that? And Daryl was one of the first guys that called the next morning after we got uh, home and were desperately lacking in sleep. So I'm not even sure if I made any sense. But (laughs) having never seen it, I can probably play the game shift by shift over uh, in my head. And uh, it's so cool. Lanny, just uh, one last one before we wrap up and, and has less to do with 1989 and, and more to do with something that uh, I had the privilege to be in the building for, uh, I guess it, it feels like it was months ago, but I believe it was technically still this month in March, but uh, the Special Olympics uh, Breakfast of Champions, and uh, I know that uh, Special Olympics Calgary Director Kathy Urquhart uh, kind of caught you by surprise and left you a little speechless with a, a nice Lifetime Achievement Award. Just uh, a thought on, on what that meant to you, Lanny, when uh, it was kind of one of the last events we had in this city before the world changed, but uh, just your your thought on on that nice gesture from special o calgary you know it was it was so unexpected and yes i i was actually uh had my head down and and i had my back to the stage and when kathy was speaking and all of a sudden i think i'm realizing is she talking about me and then i was oh my god she is and it was embarrassing uh because Special Olympics holds such a a cool spot in my heart. Uh, They have taught me so much more than I could ever teach them right away. And Michael Backlund uh, said it best. uh, You you go there thinking, okay, uh, hopefully I can kind of help make a difference. Well, they're the ones making a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. And every athlete knows every stat of every sport inside out. And yes, that was one of the last events uh, that were here, uh, and especially in the building uh, at uh, Scotiabank uh, Saldome. And hopefully before long, 
we can ha- have another event uh, and get back uh, to playing and cheering on the game we all love. Lanny, always so great catching up with you. Just an absolute pleasure. Look forward to doing it again down the road, be it at one of the numerous uh, alumni events at the Dome or here on these airwaves again. Thank you. Well, if you guys ever need to, to BS a little bit, don't hesitate to call the number. <laughs> and I look forward to it. Uh, you guys take care and stay safe. Thanks, Lanny. What a gem. There he is. Absolute best. Hall of Famer. Yeah, he really is. He's uh, one of the absolute best. He's an absolute class act. And, like, it is it is no act either. Like, the dude's just a genuine, awesome guy. And uh, it's it's always cool to catch up with him and um, hear his stories from 1989. And, and what's amazing is, like, uh, again, I Special Olympics Calgary has a pretty special place in my heart. And uh, just seeing what all those alumni members do. And Lanny has been affiliated with uh, Special Olympics Calgary since the the first day he arrived as a member of the Calgary Flames. He joined the Calgary Flames for the 81-82 season, and 1981 was the first year Special Olympics Calgary existed. So essentially, you know, guys like Perry Berezan, Landon McDonald, those guys have been affiliated with Special Olympics Calgary from the very beginning, and nobody has been affiliated with them longer than Lanny has. So uh, that was a, a pretty cool thing to be a part of and, and uh, get to see him recognized, uh, very deservingly so on top of that. Yeah, great man. Lucky to have him in our community. And uh, just how do you not love that guy? The, just the passion he lives his life with, you know, talking about his grandkids, talking about his teammates. Uh, you know, mentioning he was just on a conference call with the Hockey Hall fam. And this is an Im- immensely accomplished uh, citizen, never mind uh, his athletic career. So uh, always yeah. great to catch up with him. And as you alluded to, is his great work in the char- charitable field as well. Okay, Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe coming up next. Tom Brady is no longer a Patriot. And I don't know that there's a better guest to talk about what that looks like, what that means, and uh, what that feels like. As our very own Logan Gordon caught up with the longtime NFL beat reporter, and Major League Baseball beat reporter earlier this week. Sports at 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Logan Gordon along with you this afternoon. We're glad to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in our guest. It is Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe. Mr. Ryan, how are you today, sir? I am doing as well as can be expected under these circumstances. I'm fine. I feel I'm fine. How are things uh, out on your uh, coast there, out on the East Coast? I know things are, are changing every day. It's hard not to, to dive into the conversation, but uh, how do you mm. feel? How do things feel in general over there? Well, it, it, um, obviously it's, it's like a, a, a spooky movie. To look at the empty streets and mm-hmm. and and the, the quiet everywhere, and you know, um, uh, I've been going out once a day to to take care of you know certain things, and uh, you know, and then come back and it's it's so quiet out there. I take a walk, and uh, it's interesting. So many the the big phenomenon is is all the people out walking with little kids, and mm. you now walking dogs. That's to be expected. That's to be expected. But uh, the, uh, the number of people that have to get the children out of the house. Yes. Uh, I'm not talking about pushing baby carriages. <laughs> I'm talking about the three, four, five, six-year-olds. You know, you've got to get them out, and they're out walking in, in numbers. You never saw that phenomenon before. 
other than, you know, you walk in a baby carriage, that's to be expected. But people did not traditionally, not around here anyway, go out walking with their other offspring uh, in, in normal circumstances. Well, let's uh, suspend belief for a little while and uh, try to continue the normalcy for everyone listening. And um, the one league that seems to have done the best job of that has been the NFL, and uh, they've continued with a busy offseason free agency, uh, leaning into a busy offseason of trades and offseason moves. Uh, you wrote a great article for the uh, Boston Globe in, in February about Tom Brady being a potential lifer for the uh, New England Patriots and how that would uh, be a, a, a poetic ending for him. I, I find it interesting, you know, for me, Tom Brady's probably on the Mount Rushmore for NFL players and quarterbacks, if you will, and I imagine he's up there in Boston lore with Bill Russell, Ray Bork, Ted Williams, and that sort of stuff. Bob, I mean, really, how does it come to pass that he leaves New England, or how does New England let Tom Brady leave? <laughs> You have to start with the phenomenon that he is physically. Uh, this would not be a topic of discussion at age 43 for many people. It has not been. Uh, there's, no, there's no comparable circumstance that I can think of where a player was an even remotely coveted free agent at 43. Uh, the guys have played that long, and God you know, that the gold standard of all time will remain Gordie Howe. And, there was, and, and perhaps if there was, had been a circumstance of free agency when he was a pup at 43, far you know, way before he was ready to retire, uh, you know, that might have been a comparable uh, occurrence, but it didn't happen. You know, he, mm -hmm. he left eventually left the Red Wings to go to the WHA, and as we know, but, um, but anyway. And that, that's one circumstance you could throw up of a guy that was at that age that was still coveted to a degree that Tom Brady is still coveted. It, it's, uh, it should, the story would logically have ended any number of years ago, but it didn't because Tom Brady has kept himself viable. So that's number one. It's an odd circumstance. The other th next thing up would be uh, the mutual sentimentality factor. In other words, uh, the, the, how much the organization was determined to keep him and make him a, a, a retiree of theirs as a, and how much he wanted to have that honor, how much it mattered to him to play for just one team, which is becoming an increasingly rare circumstance in all our professional sports. It's, it's very, very rare now that a guy will play that long and only do it to so for one team. So uh, – we had here, uh, we finally had here was a divorce. Uh, we really did. We had a divorce. There was a falling out uh, 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 between uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, uh, and, and uh, they made it easier. Belichick made it easy for Tom Brady, I believe. Now, this is my theory, which I subscribe, which is a, not a unique to me. I subscribe to a theory that uh, Brady, uh, Belichick made it easy for Brady, uh, in a sense. Uh, and uh, if he had gone to Bob Kraft and said, I must have him, he has to stay here, uh, uh, he would have been paid. And he would have, uh, and he would have uh, you know, been inclined to stay. But that, uh, Belichick didn't come close to doing that. That's A. And on the other side of it is uh, Brady's looking around and saying, I'm still viable. Uh, I, I still want another ring. And I think that, frankly, uh, they didn't do a very good job of giving me the adequate weaponry I needed last year. And then perhaps I, and I have a better chance of getting that, that final ring somewhere else. And, and that's, I think he does believe that. I don't know if ego is the right word to use in this circumstance, Bob. Maybe it's it's self-belief or self-affirmation between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but isn't there a, a sense between the both of them that maybe they both want to prove to everyone that they can do it without the other? 
I think that also, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to throw that in there because that's something that's becoming more and more a part of our conversation. I mean, you, me, and anybody else is having it locally. Um, the idea that uh, they, that these two want to show that they can win without the other. Uh, the, the only sample size we have is very small in the terms of what uh, Belichick has been able to do since he's had Brady, and that was in 1907, when uh, 08, excuse me, when uh, Brady was hurt in the first per- uh, quarter of, of the game one, and in Kansas City, I happened to be there, and missed the rest of the season, and they went 11 and five with Matt Castle and missed on the playoffs for the only time in the Brady-Belichick era on a tiebreaker. They were uh, had the same record as Miami, but lost on a tiebreaker. Um, and that shows that Belichick's pretty good without Brady, if not necessarily Super Bowl. But his record in prior to the day he inserted Brady in the lineup, or had to put Brady in the lineup on that fateful September day in 2001, when Mo Lewis wiped out uh, Drew Bledsoe, it was way under 500, both in Cleveland and in the first year, and plus in New England. So uh, there, there, there's that. Uh, and, of course, Brady has played for it, no other coach. Uh, there's no track record beyond for him beyond Belichick. Uh, he will have to establish one in Tampa. Tom goes down a road that not many have been successful in and that you know probably conjure up some interesting sports memories for many football fans you know, maybe the most successful Hall of Fame quarterback ever leaving a team uh, to have success would be Peyton Manning with the Denver Broncos after a long stint with Indianapolis. But you, you know, you go down the list of names and Brett Favre and uh, John Unitas was a short time with my uh, my Chargers and Joe Montana as a Chief. Does Tom? I mean, I don't know really how to process it if you're Tom, but does that something that factors into him that not many go down this road have had success? But he must believe that he can go into Tampa Bay and have the same success he had in New England, I'd imagine. He completely believes that he can be a successful quarterback and get back to a Super Bowl and perhaps win it. I think he totally believes that. Um, and the, you're right about Manning. Uh, and, and Manning, in, at the end, was more or less carried by the team than he was. He was not the prime mover, mm. but he, he does have another ring at, uh, because he was the quarterback for a very good defensive team that had enough weaponry to enable him to get, uh, to get the, the job done. Montana got to it. AFC Championship game. Uh, A lot of people forget that. And uh, he did have a degree of success, but he didn't get the ultimate prize. And the others were, of course, varying degrees of of, of disappointment, Uh, a total disasters for the likes of Unitas and Namath, and uh, uh, some success for Favre. Although uh, it seemed to me that uh, all you, the way we remember his sunset years was was all he was ever good for in the end was throwing big interceptions <laughs> and then games in the series, so uh, and, and games and seasons, but uh, it didn't really work out so well for him. But it did. And Peyton Manning would be somebody that Brady and Brady, by the way, I think is an admirer of. They're they're friendly. Mm-hmm. They're, they're frenemies. Uh, they're. Uh, uh, they held each other up as an example of symbol of excellence. And I think that the fact that Manning was able to do it is something that helps motivate. It's one of the many things that is currently motivating Brady. One more um, back to the Patriots, Bob. And what, what does the future look forward for? Or what does the future look like moving forward here for Bill Belichick and company? There's been lots of talk about, Jarrett Stidham, the you know the young quarterback on the roster at just 23 years of age. They brought Brian Hoyer back in, who's spent a couple of stints with New England in, in backup capacities. And 
Uh, obviously, the draft is still on schedule as we know of. Uh, is Belichick likely to go out and find a successor? Is this the plan moving forward to have success this year and moving forward? I mean, it seems weird that you would say goodbye to the best player in your franchise and not have some sort of setback at least this season. If only we knew, naturally, because that is the parlor game question. You would think that Bill Belichick would have a plan, and I'm sure I think there is a plan, but we're not certain if it involves a drafting of a quarterback, uh, which would probably certainly not give them the starter for 2020, if and when there is a season. Uh, the starter for 2020 will be the Stedham or uh, some I don't know who's out. No, there's not much left out there. So it's almost undoubtedly going to be Stidham. Uh, Stidham, Stidham, Stidham. Uh, we'll see. Um, but there's a lot of other things that have gone on here in the offseason uh, mm. other than Brady, and that is that their defense has been stripped. Carl Van Noy is gone. Jamie Collins is gone. Danny Shelton, who was a big run stopper, is gone. Um, the so, Belichick they, tree they of coaches has uh, picked apart his defense yep. this summer. Particularly Detroit, uh, you know, that we have a lot of expatriate patriots in Detroit, mm. uh, with Matt Patricia and, and company, and, and uh, uh, the front office has a ties with the former ties with the uh, patriots. So they're, they're going to be, a, and it's going to be a lot of new faces there. They did invest in De- uh, Devin McCourty, uh, and they did invest in Joe Tooney, the offensive guard, to franchising him, and uh, we'll see whether he even stays with the team, whether they'll still trade him or not. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, questions, but they're not going to have the same look. At the very least, they've come way back to the pack. I I would doubt very much that I, I would. I would think that there's so many people who will pick Buffalo to win that division as will pick the Patriots now. And uh, certainly, uh, you've got a 34-year-old Edelman. You've got uh, still no tight end of any consequence. Lots of questions with the Patriots as they uh, get ready for the whatever you know the next season, whether it's 2020 or 21. Uh, you've covered plenty of NFL off seasons, and you mentioned it uh, in your last answer to the. There's been plenty of other moves this offseason that have uh, shaken the NFL core from Todd Gurley moving on to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, You've seen Melvin Gordon and Chris Harris switch positions in the AFC West. Um, And even then, we've had Bill O'Brien being seemingly robbed blind for his best receiver for an aging running back. What have you made of the offseason, not to mention the quarterback carousel that's gone on? It just seems to be a a movement-heavy offseason this NFL off year. Yeah, a lot of teams that think that they they're not far away, and, and and that if they do this, that, or the other thing, they're they're going to improve themselves. There has been a lot of movement. There has been a lot, a couple some some eye, eyebrow raisers. The thing in Houston, I think you hit is the most one of the more intriguing topics. People are trying to evaluate what is Bill O'Brien thinking? How good is Bill O'Brien? Is Bill O'Brien crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is—he's another patriot. He's a patriot, uh, you know. He's a Belichick acolyte, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, nice man, by the way. I've, I've met him and enjoyed uh, the couple of chats I've had with him. He seems like he's a reasonable human being, but but uh, as a coach, strange. The Hopkins thing, uh, you know, has rubbed, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, I—they're—they're—they're uh, uh, they're, they're kind of a mystery guest here in all this, but certainly. Uh, uh, some, we got some interesting things going on in the, in the realm of quarterbacks. Mm. Oh boy, you know, and of course, uh, you know, the movement of uh, and a potential movement of quarterbacks, and and uh, uh, you know what's going to happen with Cam Newton, and and uh, people are paying, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's coveted uh, has been settled, and uh, Philip Rivers moving at this age, uh, very interesting. Uh, you know, a borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, you yes. know. He is that very much so. Uh, going to a team which, by the way, I thought I mean, the, the Colts would have been a logical 
technically good landing spot for Brady. Of course, that would have meant he would have been going to a town where Manning once owned, which which he once owned, which is interesting. But um, Philip Rivers, uh, you know, so there's a lot of interesting names that have been moving moving around. The Gurley thing, just two years after, you know, a pinnacle season, and 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 you know, once again, the, the whole discussion of the as the import of running backs and 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 uh, in the NFL now, as opposed to the old days, uh, and and how un, uh, it's not a coveted, it's not a valued position at all. And uh, there's only three running backs getting paid the big, big, big money, and and, and he's not one of them. And uh, oh, that's very interesting. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun, fascinating off season. And and you know, one of the things I thought we, I mean, you might be hinting at in the beginning about the you know, given the, the world we're living in, whether. There's one. Some people have raised an ethical issue as to whether it's tasteful for the NFL to be having all these stories out there with players and how much money they're getting and all these contracts in the times that we're living in, with with millions of people having their lives upended perhaps forever by the by the virus and losing jobs and not knowing what their future is going to be. Should the NFL really be in the business of of uh, you know of propagating this stuff at the time? I'm not saying I'm, I'm. Some people are raising that question. I'm not necessarily subscribing to that. Mm, and it's interesting because the next topic I was going to bring up is where, as the calendar will turn to to April shortly here, the NFL draft is the next big item on their their calendar, and the NFL seems to, like you mentioned, we, they moved on freely with with NFL free agency and movement like that didn't seem to be affected by what's happening in the outside world. What does the draft look like for you in all this? But well, I imagine there's some sort of way to do this through video conference or something like that but it certainly won't be the same old look of the nfl draft that we're used to with players going up and shaking the hand of the commissioner for a hug and a picture sure well it's going to be a very 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 different enterprise but it's one that that uh, it's the only sporting event quote-unquote that we have to look forward to in the near future of any you know interest for uh and it's going to have to i understand why they're doing it i don't think there's any harm the society or any ethical reason why they can't do it. It's up to them to decide whether they can pull it off and have people make fair and proper judgments about people. Uh, obviously, it's going to be very different. Uh, some teams are going to be better equipped to make moves, uh, to make judgments than others. Uh, and, and the whole idea of, of physicals, and oh, there's a lot of endless mm-hmm. logistics that are involved with it. But it's going to be at least two, you know, a highly coveted nights of television time, legitimate live television, uh, which we have none other, you know, no sports events live uh, now. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't think there's any harm. And, in fact, uh, Adam Schefter uh, went so far as to propose that if they were smart, they'd want it as a week for a week. They'd have one round a night. And people would still be hanging around in that seventh round night, uh, and and I think the diehard football fans would be, but uh, uh, that has, that's not going to happen. But it was a, a, an interesting proposal, mm. which I thought maybe ESPN should have given some thought to. But uh, uh, as it stands now, it's going to be the standard way of operating in terms of, of the uh, uh, time frame. But uh, uh, it'll be different, you know. But we, Back to the Future is everything. I, <laughs> my first NBA draft just to. Uh, was in 1970, and it was uh, a conference call. There was a central office in, in, in New York, in Manhattan, yep. but the, all the teams were back in their offices on, on, on a conference call with a squawk box. And you'd, I walked into Red Auerbach's office, and there was a little squawk box on, the, on, the, um, on his desk, and, that's, and he was sitting behind it puffing his cigar, and they conducted the draft. And, of course, in those days, there were endless drafts, 14 rounds, 15 rounds, 17 rounds, as far as people wanted to go. And uh, they did it in one afternoon, no problem, and, um, and did it on a squawk box. So 
I, uh, I'm just kind of chuckling at the thought of what they're going to be doing with this thing now. <laughs> yeah, certainly the pomp and circumstance of the event is, has changed <laughs> over the years. Uh, I do have to ask I you. Know, tell me, just tell you a quick one. Yes. I just want to tell you one quick one. We're talking about that. Just how times have changed, even nine years later. You know where Larry Bird was when he found out he was drafted by the Boston Celtics? I don't. He was on the golf course. <laughs> he was on the golf course. And someone ran up to him when he came off and said, you know, you got drafted by the Celtics. He said, oh, really? Oh, good to know. Funny world, all that goes, eh? Everybody with the draft parties now is a little different for Larry. <laughs> I like that. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what, that, yep. Uh, Bob, I, I wish, no, one thing I wish you could be talking to you about was uh, the start of Major League Baseball. We're uh, oh. days out from what would have been opening day. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about baseball and, and, you know, the 162 games that they've got to get in here in the next little while. Uh, well, do you have a, a future for what this looks like for you or what? Do you have any idea? I mean, it's so hard to, to predict. Everything changes oh, on a day-by-day um, day here, but um, it's it's obviously a sad day to miss an opening day, but hopefully we see baseball in some form or another in a few months. All right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a futurist there, but I'll say the best I can foresee is a roughly a half season, uh, a la the short season minor leagues, which go – for two months and go for 70 games or so. A lot of doubleheaders. I would hope that they would be regular doubleheaders, but they would be split day-night doubleheaders. And I would endorse, by the way, going to the seven-inning minor league doubleheader procedure if they do this. And I think they're going to inevitably have to do this to get into some season, at the very least, and and, and do that. And that's the best I can hope for uh, And for them this year. Um, we'll see. This, it just there is so much uncertainty. No one knows uh, how how this is going to shake out uh, in terms of when it's going to be safe for society to gather in, in groups of people again. We have no idea. Uh, I, I, I mean, and anybody, nobody can possibly know. You can plan. You know, baseball should be making plans. I would hope that there would be contingency plans on you know from ABCD uh, that they're formulating, and then yeah. when whenever they get a date that they can resume, they're they're going whether it's Plan A or, or Plan G. You know that I think that would be the only way I can foresee uh, that they can get a season in. Well, hopefully we get some version of Opening Day, and uh, who knows the NFL continues to uh, to move on. I don't know what the viability of that league starting on time is either at this point, but. Uh, Bob, as always, my man, I appreciate the time. I know things are crazy right now. Hopefully we can do this a little bit more regularly as the uh, time goes on here. But thank you so much. The best to you and yours out uh, on the East Coast there. Keep well, my friend. Appreciate it. Happy to do so. Bye-bye now. That is Bob Ryan, formerly of the Boston Globe. You see him on Around the Horn, and uh, you hear him on Primetime Sports, or used to hear him on Primetime Sports all the time, one of the uh, most accomplished sports writers south of the border. Bob Ryan, in conversation with Logan Gordon, he joined Logo on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. The latest in our two simulated Calgary Flame seasons, one from the iconic NHL 94 on Sega Genesis, the other from NHL 2020 on PS4. We'll uh, get you the updates on both of those from Friday's game with the Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. Next on Pinder and Steinberg, happy Tuesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Guys, I got good news. 
Calgary Flames okay. are on a bit of a heater on my uh, NHL 20 EA Sports PlayStation 4 simulation. Uh, they have now played nine games with tonight set to be the 10th game. They got a huge game at home against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. Um, but we won't uh, get into that until tomorrow. They did play a game against the Vancouver Canucks on Friday night in Vancouver. Since the pandemic has shut things down, the Flames are on a 6-3-0 and run here, guys. It's exactly the type of stretch they needed to cement themselves in the playoffs. A really gutsy 4-3 victory on the road in Vancouver. Remember, this team has wow. been riddled with injuries. Cam Talbot's done for the year, so John Gillies is up. Riddick has had to hold down the fort. Uh, they've been without Dubé. They've been without Ryan. Uh, Lucic. Lucic is back. He was only a minor injury for Lucic, so he came okay. back. Um, but they played severely shorthanded in Vancouver, but came away with a 4-3 victory. Andrew Mangiapane leads the way with a couple of goals. Wow. Mark Giordano played more than 30 minutes, a couple of assists. The reason why Gio had to play so much, Eric Gustafson done for the year, lacerated uh. arm. So Gustafson done for the year. Um, luckily, pretty healthy blue line. Derek Forbert's come back in, so he'll now uh, be a regular top six guy once again. Uh, good news following the Vancouver game. Game, though Dylan Dubé, Derek Ryan, both able to return. So I sent Tobias Ooh. Reeder back to the American League. Austin Zarnick stays in the lineup. Uh, so oh, right goodness. now the Flames are six three and zero in the nine games they've played uh, since the pandemic has hit. Big four three win over the Canucks on Friday night. Well, I'm three of four. I'm reading the results. Uh, they eked one out against Tampa. The John Gillies got a win against the Ducks, and now uh, Manjapani with a pair against Vancouver. They're they're rolling. That's good news. Now, do you have an injury update on Yusuf Alamaki? What's the status? Alamaki is healthy to return, but I just uh, I'm I'm gonna be like a real life GM. You know, I, I just I I believe in real life. Uh, the doctors have said a full year would be the best thing for him. Um, so I I'm just I'm not gonna well, take any risks. And I'm also uh, I'm also not going to ruin his expansion protection yes. status. Like I'd I'd rather yeah. not have to worry about that. I'd like him to be um, exempt from protection at the expansion draft. So Valimaki will not be playing this year on my uh, NHL 20 season. GM Pat Steinberg has made a, a firm declaration in that regard. Well, I'm proud of you. You're not uh, you're not just selling out the future for the present. That's not an easy decision to make, but. Uh... You know, you might not be around as the GM necessarily down the road, but making moves still good for the team despite that, that's great to see. And, hey, if they're playing like this while shorthanded, maybe you will be around GM in this team for a while, Pat. That's exciting. I'm I'm confident about my job security as it stands right now. I own the game, so I'd have to fire myself. So as it stands right now, I'm, I'm pretty confident. You're the owner too. I'm also the owner, um, coach. I do a lot of the strategy adjustments in game when I play, so yeah, yeah I'm I'm feeling yeah. pretty good about things. I might I might actually play the game between Calgary and Winnipeg tonight. I might do that this evening instead of wow. simulating it. We'll see how it goes. So I'm pretty bad be... though, so that might uh, put an end to the run for the Flames. So you are already owner GM and you know at least part of the coaching staff. You might actually be a player as well. That would be, I mean, that's Mark Cuban's hands on. Jerry Jones, we know has a couple of those titles, mm -hmm. but that would really set the bar in, in the modern sports era to be an owner, GM, coach, and player all at the same time. I'm telling you, that's uh, it's a feather in your cap, Pat. I'm, uh, I'm doing my best.
it's tough times right now, uh, but I'm doing my best. Uh, a reminder, uh, coming up after 5 o'clock, if you missed it earlier today, uh, we will hear our chat with Lanny McDonald again. Uh, Lanny joined us about an hour ago and helped us set up what is going to be your NHL Rewind game on Sportsnet 960, the, uh, the fan this evening. At 7 o'clock, we have got the Calgary Flames and Montreal Canadiens from the 1989 Stanley Cup Final Game 6. Lanny with one of the most iconic goals in Flames history in that game. We've got Game 6, Flames-Habs, 89 Cup Final, coming up at 7 o'clock this evening. Looking forward to that. It's Pinder and Steinberg with Wild Card Wednesday coming up next. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We are into the 4 o'clock hour on your Tuesday edition of Pinder and Steinberg. Pinder is at Shea Pinder. My name is Pat Steinberg here in my little uh, home office in the Beltline. And Logan Gordon is holding things down, doing yeoman's work at our Sportsnet 960 uh, basement systems downtown studio. Gentlemen, are we uh, ready to play some Wild Card Wednesday? It's a, a Tuesday edition. I'm fully aware of that, but are we... Uh, Ready to play nonetheless. Yep, let's do it. I am Um, ready. All right. If you are unfamiliar with how we play Wild Card Wednesday, uh, usually when we're not doing pandemic radio, we do it just on Wednesdays, hence the name. When we are, uh, we do it every day because, um, well, it helps us get through our day. We've got five categories in our little fake casino. We've got pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We've got a big slot machine. Uh, each one of us pulls the lever. It lands on one of those categories. Uh, one of us asks a question, and we all answer. We do three rounds, and that's a segment. I'll go first. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm hoping that we don't get career. Otherwise, I'm, uh, I'm happy to pull first. Let's, uh, let's get things going. culture all right i didn't get career that's all that uh all that i wanted um you got a bad career you empty you got a blank i'm i'm just empty is the main thing i gotta fill that up tonight um gentlemen have you ever been an official member of a fan club or a mailing list or something like that have you ever signed up for something and and been an official member whether it's a band uh, a movie franchise whatever it may be subscribed to a magazine because of something you ever been officially a part of a fan club before jeez i feel like i would have been on a bunch of bands mailing lists back in like oh four to oh six when i spent those three summers in toronto and you could go see amazing live acts but nothing that it like is too crazy just the odd email i still get emails from like metric who were huge at that time in toronto but uh yeah i don't nothing that really uh shrieks high level nerddom for anything i've got two um nothing for you logo no not really it's kind of it was a bit before my time i think i would say there's just kind of like kiss army or anything like that would kind of be before any of like my stuff like i mean yeah i subscribed to a few magazines or something like that but nothing really no specific mailing list or like fan clubs i mean i'm sure there's some i could be a part of but nothing that really sticks out so here are the two for me um as a uh, as a young boy i would have been like i want to say like 
2012, somewhere in that range, give or take a year. Uh, I was a three- or four-year member of the official Star Wars fan club, so you paid a... <laughs> Uh, I saved up my allowance, and I think it was like a $30 fee. Uh, you paid a $30 fee. You got a weekly, I mean, a monthly magazine. You got like a yearly annual gift where, you know, like a, a mouse pad or a keychain or something like that that was exclusive to Star Wars fan club members. Um, and, you know, you got access to like their, uh, they also sent you like um Remember when you used to get book orders at school, Scholastic, and uh, they'd send you send you one of those where you could sign up and and buy uh, by mail. So that was so I was three or four years as a member of the Star Wars fan club. I remember I bought a T-shirt uh, off of there, and it was like a, a birthday present that we bought off of there. And I try I think I wore that thing to Highwood Elementary School every day. Um, so there, there was that. And then the other one for me uh, that I still am a part of uh, is the official Dave Matthews Band fan, fan club, the Warehouse. And the reason why the reason why you're a part of that, as as any Dave fan would know, is you get advanced ticketing. So I don't know whether or not the summer tour is going to happen or not. But if it does, you sign up. Like they're playing in Vancouver for the first time in ages, uh, and then they're playing three nights at the Gorge as they usually do. So you go online, you put your advance tickets in, you get tickets before anybody else. And then if you don't get approved for all your requests, then you can go and try uh, going for the general on-sale period. But, uh, yeah, the warehouse the warehouse is, if you like to go see Dave live, the warehouse is almost a must. You get an annual gift. It's always, you get a CD, um, and then you always get something weird. Like, CD? Uh, uh, this year was a fridge magnet. A uh, year before, like one time I got a tape measure or something like that. Um, they gave me a uh, one of those things that you can stick on the back of your phone, like the thing that helps prop a phone up. They give you one of those. They always give you a weird gift on top of the annual CD that you get. So those are the two that I've been a part of. I am just looking, and I noticed that on Facebook, which I definitely check in on more than once every seven months, but not much, uh, the Penticton Disc Golf Club, which has 379 <laughs> members. Don't know what's going on there. I also uh, note there's an event at some restaurant that's been closed for two years that I'm part of that club. That's, uh, I really wish I had more to add here. What, what restaurant is that? The Elite, which I told you about two weeks ago on Wildcard Wednesday, but uh, no longer <laughs> open. The Elite After Six okay. has really quieted down that Facebook group. I've noticed. Did you, um, here's a couple of uh, responses, 960960. Um, what about the old school CD club? Remember when you would get those those yes. flyers in the mail and it would be like, you can spend $1 and get 45 CDs. And then if you go and you, um, you read the fine print, it's obviously not as simple as that. But they'd have like, they'd have some good CDs. Like at the time, like probably the, the Counting Crows and, our Lady Peace were big and better than Ezra. Like it was around that time period, like mid nineteen nineties. But then there'd also be like stuff like Conway Twitty and um, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band from like the nineteen seventies and eighties. And there's all these kind of duster CDs on top of the. There is. I was never part of that. My parents were always like, "No, Pat, that's a scam," uh, and that um, I never was a part of that. Um, in 1994, I was a proud member of the New Kids on the Block fan club. 
Nothing wrong with that. 94. That was uh, that was right in their wheelhouse. And yes, as somebody texts in, Columbia House was the uh, was the CD thing where you could sign up. You got a CD a month. It was Columbia House. The most bizarre one. Before we move on, uh, they advertise it for it on the Howard Stern Show all the time. Is the Dive Bar Shirt Club where you can sign up and huh. essentially you pay I think like 25 or 30 bucks US a month and this company will send you t-shirts once a month of dive bars across North America so it like makes you wow. seem worldly it's like yeah I was in Lincoln Nebraska and I went to the uh, I went to the rat's nest in the Lincoln, job. Nebraska. It's like, cool, good for you man. That seems like a waste of your money. Um, I'm not a part of that one. Those uh, record things were epic scams. They basically dropped the quality of music down below a threshold that allowed them to blow it out at super low prices. And people grew up on really, really crappy versions of music. So, um, really? Yeah, you I got didn't a know deal. they messed the up. I didn't know they messed up the sound quality really on those things. Well, they just dropped it. Really? Yeah, it's uh, you can go look it up. But uh, I, I recall learning that thinking it all makes sense now because it just felt like something wasn't square. And sure enough, it wasn't. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, who's going next? I'll give it a go. Logan. Ah, man. All right. It's rock. Oh, all right. So confused about TV clubs. Sports. Sports. All right. Uh, I, get a, I think I got a good one for sports today. Um, one coach, uh, one pro coach in any league that you would not play for. Ooh. Ooh. Bob Hartley. <laughs> Come he, on. He uh, isn't in the That's league good. anymore. That's a good one. But it's the only coach that I believe there was a clause written into a player contract where he couldn't be traded to a team coached by Bob Hartley. I've never heard of that in any other sport, and that was in the NHL. Uh, I'm not going to say the player's name uh, for hope that he would come on our show when the offseason or maybe when his career's over, but um, that's a thing. And the closer you get to people that worked around Bob Hartley – the worse the stories get. A very, very unlikable human from all angles, apparently. So uh, I'll say Bob Hartley. That's close to home. Patrick? Just dropped out for a second. No. Um, I'm back now. Just crushing um, Bob Hartley. I am here. That's all right. But Ryan was just uh, killing Bob for three hey, or four look, minutes. I know this much. I know that he was notoriously unpopular with most of the players that played for him. Um, so, yes, I've, I've heard many a horror story. Um, there's a couple players that, uh, I again, I won't name names, but uh, who I've spoken to, one who is recently retired and one who is still playing, and they both have nothing but horrible things to say about that. So that's a good one. Uh, here's here's one guy that I, uh, I I don't think I would play for. Has nothing to do with the guy and more to do with me. Um, I'm soft, so I don't know if I would be able to stand up to it. Um, but I, I the stories that you hear uh, about Scotty Bowman and how how much of a taskmaster he was and how how much he made sure that you worked and you stuck with it and you were consistent. 
uh, some of the stories. Like That's the greatest coach in NHL history. So not saying it, it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that I don't know if I would have had the mental capacity to stand up to it. So I'm going to go with Scotty Bowman because I just think that Hmm? Well, uh, again, that the conclusion dangerous. is the, the the why, and Pat drops out. Cliffhanger, always at the cliffhanger. What do you think about leaves? that answer, though, Rise? Is that is that an acceptable answer? One of the greatest hockey coaches of all yes, time. It hundred percent is because Scotty was known for being a master of mind games. So, if you are one that would not do well with those, like Scotty didn't work for everyone, and that guy pushed buttons like you wouldn't believe from all the accounts I've heard. Now, successful immensely. Uh, but you can't, you can't critique the results, but if you are not one for mind games, you are not one for Scotty Bowman it is, is sort of what the gist of it is. Hmm. And uh, that's interesting. I, I think it's a good answer, but it's just one of those ones where you wouldn't necessarily put him at the top of the list when he's got 1200 and whatever victory, but yeah, yeah. fair enough. Bob Hartley's got a Stanley Cup ring. That doesn't mean people like him. Hey, that was the, uh, that was a Jack Adams. Different. That was a Jack Adams winner there, uh, Ryan. Did Logan? Yeah, did Logan? Give, I'm having some internet issues here at Shea Steinberg. Uh, did Logan give his pick? I, I haven't yet. Uh, right now. We were just discussing the validity of your Scotty Bowman pick, which Ryan defended. Only because I, I don't think I would have had the mental capacity to stand Mind up to games. it. Not because I. Mind games. Yeah, the guy. The guy was just. I. I would have whittled the. That's why talent and and not being able to stand up to things. Um, that would have been why the I never made the NHL. Probably right at the top of the list would be the fact that I wasn't good at it, at playing hockey, but you know, other stuff too. Uh, my pick is, uh, I don't know what it is about the guy. I don't think he's that bright and I just don't think he seems like that good of a guy. Uh, John Gruden, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> not interested in whatever it is that he just seems to me like he's got to be the, the smartest guy in the room and, He's always got this pizzazz and this thought and this walk about him, and he's you know the big paid head coach and all this. And I just think the guy's a dunce. I couldn't. I just don't like him at all. I don't think I'd respect him at all. Uh, and I just like if you're getting paid more than half of the players, what are you doing out here? Like you're just you look stupid, and I don't like his stupid visors either. They're dumb. As a proud, proud but suffering Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, yes, he was the head coach of the team that won their only Super Bowl. I am fully aware of that, but that was the team and the house that Tony Dungy built. And he would then go on to completely ruin and dismantle the team that I love. And to this day, they have not been able to get out of the hole that John Gruden dug them. Uh, so yes, he may be a Super Bowl champion, and he won a Super Bowl with the Bucks. But guy did very little good for the team after that. I'm not a big John Gruden guy myself, so I uh, wholeheartedly endorse and applaud your selection. Ten million bucks a year for a uh, 500 coach. Yeah, you can have him. I guess Las Vegas uh, Raiders now. Yes. All Pinder. right. Okay. My turn. Personal life. All right, guys, this one's simple. What's your relationship status? And do elaborate. <laughs> I mean, does it get more personal than that? Or? That is about <laughs> as um, that is about as personal as it gets. Um, 
<laughs> I am uh, I, uh, I'm currently uh, seeing somebody. Um, <laughs> I like to keep this stuff. I like to keep the, the current stuff is just because, you know, social media is the way that it is. But uh, currently seeing somebody, yes. Elaborate, as Ryan said. Have we ever heard Pat speechless like this? <laughs> this is the man that his fuel is is making people uncomfortable. This is amazing. We found something. Not really. I mean, I'm, I've been so yeah. I'm seeing somebody right now, and uh, <laughs> I don't really know what else there is to what else there is to say. Like I, you know, we know Pinder's married. I'm seeing somebody, and Logan's single. That's about his. Um, what more? Well, you, I don't like to. Himself. I don't like to give out names and such. Social media and some of the threats I've gotten on social media. And that's what makes me uncomfortable. Uh, is is that stuff because of some of the stuff I've had to deal with on social media over the last number of years. So that's that's maybe where the discomfort is coming from. Logan, why don't you take a cut? Um, I am single. Um, I've may have. Um, been uh, on a few dating applications that one mm-hmm. would put on his uh, phone at some point in time. I may have which uh, ones? Nah, that's none of your business. Um, <laughs> I may have been on something that Tinder-ish or something like that, or uh, maybe Bumble. I'll admit, I have. I had a few conversations with some people. I've seen some people a few weeks ago. Uh, but I've tried to stop as much of that as possible because it's kind of hard to uh, social distance from people when you're on a dating app and uh, you're like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll see you in, in six to eight weeks or so and we can go for a drink or something like that. So, uh, well, you can still, you can still get to, you can still get to know, um, get to know that person, right? Like, I'm trying. It'll, it'll make the uh the ice breaking when you finally meet them in person uh, a whole lot easier it's true it's uh it's a one strategy it's not mine but uh it's it's an option i guess i know that uh i still get emails from match.com uh because i was on match i want to <laughs> say like when i actually paid the money i was on there four years ago i think i paid for you paid for the – I think I waited until Valentine's Day and they gave you this 50% off deal. You're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll take a look at this and uh, jumped in at 50% off and did it for six months, four or five years ago. Uh, and I still get the emails today. And every day they send you a new social distancing dating tip. Uh, so, oh, like, good. here's today's social distancing dating tip because, you know, dating websites probably not doing the same business today that they have in in prior times. So they're trying to uh, they're trying to help you out with it a little bit. Uh, hey, guys, I'm uh, my name's Ryan and I'm immensely happily married and just think, you know, that being with one person for the rest of your life is the greatest idea that mankind's ever come up with. That's uh, there you are. Another episode of Wildcard Wednesday. What, uh, what? How long have you been? How long have you been married for now? I think we're two and a half years, and our children are four and a half. I was so we just going to ask that question. Kid plunge before the marriage plunge. If you were a morning show listener, uh, there, there was a lot of that was very um, well known. The wedding was a big deal. The mm-hmm. pregnancy was a big deal. We had really creepy maternity photos where we stripped down into a pond in Fish Creek Park. <laughs> Um, 
There was the, all that stuff. A lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, married activity. Now I just, uh, I got dad jokes. I got uh, different caliber of sweatpants that I wear and I kind of like wrestling with my kids and, you know, watching Netflix at night, being a real wild card. Um, here is, uh, here's what I went and found it on match.com. This is the one that came in today. Uh, so they've got a hashtag dating while distancing. Here are the, uh, here are the tips on match.com for dating while distancing. Um, this coming from Rachel DeAlto, who is the, their chief dating expert. Um, I'll read you just a few of them. Uh, don't skip on style just because it's a video chat. It might be tempting to live in your pajamas all day, but when it comes to that first FaceTime, get ready just like you would for a first date. This will also put you more in the mindset to flirt. Um, there's this one. Have a dinner date via video. Whether you prepare the same recipe or settle for frozen pizzas, it's up to you. Set your respective tables, pour a glass of wine, and prepare to savor and socialize. The best part? You won't have to fight over the check when you're finished. And uh, let's see if I can do one more lame one. Uh, here's a good one. Don't forget to leave a little mystery. Just because you don't have anywhere to go physically doesn't mean you should spend all day on the phone or messaging. Make sure you're still setting aside some time each day for yourself and other relationships. Hey, friends, this will ensure you still have new things to learn about each other when IRL dates are back in style. That's courtesy of Rachel DeAlto at Match.com. Quite a uh, resume you need to be How was my... How was my like afternoon, my my midday announcer voice? You were almost Rick the Temp. It was good. It we was should close. get Sasha to read like some of those. E talk pretty quick. Sasha some nice transitions. <laughs> um, that's probably enough. What do we got on the text line? Mike writes: the most important nope. question is, does Pat still see himself never getting hitched? Yeah, I don't know. Like. Wife and kids, I, I just, I don't know. I really don't. Um, that has been an issue in essentially every prior relationship I've ever had. Uh, you know, the um, the work schedule, the being married to uh, being married to your work, all that type of stuff. That hasn't gone over well. Um, the schedule seemingly never changing. Uh, that hasn't necessarily gone over well. And I'll, I'll readily admit I'm... Um, I'm not the fastest of movers when it comes to relationships. I don't necessarily floor the gas pedal a lot of the time, so that can be a, a bit of a relationship, and it has um, perhaps been the reason why every other one has ended unsuccessfully. So I don't know. To answer your question, Mike, I don't know about getting married. I don't know about kids. I should probably make those decisions soon. I'm 35, soon to be 36. But you know what? That's a tomorrow, Pat, problem. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tackle that stuff another day. Mike. All right. One of our uh, one of our mm, more That's a regular, uh, regular texters. Phone number. Somebody wants That's to know Pinder's best. happily married, but is Mrs. Pinder? Uh, well, I don't think she didn't take my last name. Not that I uh, recall, at least. So there is no Mrs. Pinder. <laughs> <laughs> That's my way of answering Pinder's that, Pat. Right, <laughs> <laughs> this has been Wildcard right, Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I mean, what not to like? It's a very lucrative radio career and, uh, you know, just a really likable, well-rounded human that doesn't watch sports all night every day. <laughs> <hour. laughs> 
Uh, that's a good edition of Wild Card Wednesday, gentlemen. I enjoyed that. Even though you thought I was getting uncomfortable, I, I, uh, I'm very comfortable in being uncomfortable. And I that yeah, is as I clammed up as we've heard question. you. You gave us a two sentence. I did answer. settle into the question though. Uncharted territory. Good stuff. Good I like it. Keep those ones coming. Uh, I'm all for being uncomfortable and clamming up on the radio. It makes for good chuckle-worthy stuff. Next up, head coach of the Calgary Flames, Jeff Ward, joined the boys on Hockey Central on the uh, Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet Television. Head coach Jeff Ward coming your way next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan couple of programming notes for you number one tonight seven o'clock right here on sportsnet 960 the fan game six 1989 stanley cup final from the montreal forum in montreal quebec it is the flames in montreal canadians we all know what happened in game six you'll be able to hear that coming up at seven o'clock on our nhl flames rewind tonight and tomorrow more in the present day a couple of members of the calgary flames are going to be stopping by on the programs tomorrow uh, on boomer in the morning 7.25 7.25 a.m. Zach Ronaldo going to join the guys. And uh, we've been uh, talking with uh, Jason, who produces the morning show, and um, and, and just kind of going through would be some good fits, the the way the morning show goes about their business. And, and we Ronaldo will be perfect. So Zach Ronaldo, 7.25 tomorrow morning. And then Rasmus Anderson going to join us here on Pinder and Steinberg at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So uh, some Flames content for you on a Wednesday. 7.25, Zach Ronaldo, 3 o'clock for Rasmus Anderson. Right now, speaking of the Flames, let's hear from the head coach, Jeff Ward. Join the guys on Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet Television in conversation with Jeff Merrick, Brian Burke, and Anthony Stewart. Here's Flames head coach, Jeff Ward. What is the new normal for Jeff Ward right now? (laughs) Well, trying to maintain a routine. I'm sure you're hearing a lot of that from guys. Uh, You know, we get up in the morning and and work out. then come back and our kids still have uh, school going on even though you know they're doing a lot of things online so we make sure that they've got a structured school day and so I get to be uh, a little bit of a teacher which I used to do for a living before coaching so I jump into that a little bit with my with my two young ones and then uh, you know in the afternoon I uh, I get down to hockey business and usually spend a few hours at that and then, uh, you know, have a normal uh, normal evening, very much like uh, we did outside of the fact that we're not playing games. Berkey? Hey, Wardo, it's Berkey. Thanks for coming on with us. We've been uh, interviewing coaches and focusing on their path to the NHL. Why don't you take our listeners through how you became a, an NHL interim head coach? Oh, my gosh. It's uh, You guys got about 15 minutes on that one. We <laughs> have four months. Oh, <laughs> a, little, yeah, a little bit of a different path. I started uh, I started coaching minor hockey in northern Ontario. Uh, in New they were looking for a guy to, to coach their midget team uh, when I was teaching up there. And, uh, of course, having nothing else to do at night, being a uh, you know, young guy, I decided that that would be a good thing to do. I was already coaching a lot of sports at the school running the intramural program, so I, I jumped into the hockey. I uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, spent a year there. Um, we made it to the All-Ontario Championships the next year. Uh, Don McKee at the University of Waterloo was looking for a guy to come down and, and work with him at the university uh, as an assistant coach. So uh, I jumped on board with Donnie, moved down to Kitchener, uh, was teaching grade five at the time, left high school to teach grade five, 
um, was able to over the course of a couple of years with Donnie uh, move into uh, coaching full time through uh, he got me some grants through Hockey Canada and the Coaching Association. Uh, I worked at the University of Waterloo with him, um, then went to the OHL uh, with Niagara Falls as an assistant. Uh, went back from the OHL in Niagara Falls to Waterloo in the Junior B Loop in Ontario, where we were able to win an Ontario championship. And then from there, I uh, really got my break with the Kitchener Rangers uh, as a head coach in the OHL. And from there, um, I, went, uh, I went to Europe. Um, I came back to uh, the American Hockey League. I uh, went back to Europe again, and then back to back to the NHL. So it's been a it's been a long and winding road, but I wouldn't trade uh, any any of the stops at all. And did you when you coached in Germany? Did you um, was Iserlohn was one of the teams? Iserlohn was one of the teams, yeah, and uh, Mannheim was the other team. And, uh, I I got my the first time I went to Germany, I was with Iserlohn, uh, which was a great experience for me. It was a small budget team, but. Um, we're able to uh, recruit a lot of North American players. Uh, they had the benefit of being able to get guys German citizenship, so that helped us out a lot. And then uh, I was able the second time to get to a, a larger budget team in Mannheim uh, and we're able to win a championship there, which was also a great experience. I would, I would recommend Europe for anybody uh, that's looking for something a little bit different to do. It was, it was an awesome experience for me, and it made me a much better coach. And what was your first NHL job then when you came back? My first NHL job was uh, in Boston with Claude. Um, Claude and I had worked together uh, in the Canadian uh, national team program um, with the under-18 team. And then uh, I was with him uh, with the national junior team, but I had gone taking a job in professional hockey over the summer, so I had to give that up. And Dean Clark replaced me on that staff. But Claude and I developed a good rapport um, through those experiences. And then when he was looking for a guy in Boston, we had been together in the American League in Hamilton. Um, and when I was coming back, he was looking for a guy in Boston. And so I was able to uh, to go into Boston with Claude and had seven uh, great, great years there uh, with the Bruins. And got a ring out of it. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. It was the icing on the cake. But uh, it's funny, the relationships uh, that you develop and how tight those teams are in Berkey, you would know of Anaheim and that. Uh, you know, the game was on the other night, the Montreal-Boston first round, uh, game seven from 2011. And all the, guys were on a, all the guys were on a group chat and sending video back and forth. It's amazing how close those teams stick. Yeah, it really is. And then how did you get to Calgary? <clears throat> um, well, I was in Jersey at the time, and um, Bill had got hired in Calgary. And there was an opportunity for, for me potentially to move here as an associate coach with Bill. And so um, Ray Sherrill, who was the, the GM in, in Jersey at the time, uh, gave Tree and Bill permission to speak with me. Um, and after meeting with them, I just liked an awful lot of what they were saying. Um, Bill, and had, Bill and I and Tree had a, a lot of the same philosophies on the game. Uh, I liked what they were talking to me about uh, with what was going on in Calgary. And so uh, decided uh, with the permission of the Devils to, to make the change to Calgary, and it's been great. We're talking about you know the transition from assistant coach to head coach of the Calgary Flames, not exactly the way that you wanted it uh, or the Flames organization wanted it. Nonetheless, uh, that's been your opportunity, and we're just talking about your you know winning percentage and your record before you came on. It's exemplary, and uh, 
I know it's always tough to grade yourself, but if the season were over today, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said the season is done, would you be satisfied with the job that you did this year with the Calgary Flames? Well, that's a, that's a hard question. Um, you know, ultimately you, you want to keep going and have the opportunity to win your last game. But, um, you know, we're, we're extremely pleased with, with the strides that we made. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the coaching staff that I was able to be a part of is a, is a great staff with Ryan Huska, Ray Edwards, Marty Jelena, Jordan Sigalette and uh, Jamie Pringle. It's, it's just such a, a great group of guys who worked extremely, extremely hard. And, when we, you know, when when the thing happened in November uh, with Bill, the change was made. Um, you know, we sat down as a group and we felt like we wanted to make improvements in a, in a few areas. And first one was we wanted to improve our goal scoring. Um, the second area we wanted to look at was we wanted to reduce the number of uh, chances we were giving up and, and ultimately our goals against. We wanted to improve that. And, and thirdly, we wanted to to get our power play going a little bit more to to be in the same sort of stratosphere that our penalty kill was or the same area in the NHL where our penalty kill was, which was excellent all season. And, and Ryan uh, does a, just a fantastic job with that. But so, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at what happened with, uh, you know, in the games uh, since the coaching change, you know, we're able to move our, our goal scoring from, you know, 27th in the NHL um, to 10th in the goals for, you know, goals for per game. Um, you know, we're able to improve our, uh, our goals against overall, you know, I think we were 12th when we stopped in terms of overall goals against. And our power play uh, improved a lot. Um, Ray Edwards and Marty Jellin did a great job with it. And it was, uh, you know, since the coaching change, it was third in the National Hockey League at 25.2%. So we really felt like we did an awful lot of good things in the areas that we targeted. And now ultimately it's, you know, it's up to Tree and the ownership to, to make a decision on what we did. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, based on, you know, the feedback that we got from the players and the fact that we're able to see some improvements in all the goals that we had set out, you know, we feel pretty good about uh, about a lot of the things that were going on with our hockey team. I guess so. I think that's uh, pretty impressive. What um, I think I said before the season began that the, the report card for your team would have to be written in April and May because last year, of course, 107 points and an early exit. Uh, left, a, left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Would you agree with that assessment? And that's why I really hope you get to play some postseason games this summer. Yeah, I would agree with that, Berkey. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, as players and coaches, we're judged on what happens in the postseason. And um, I think the the true legacy of players is what happens, you know, at the most important time of year. And we weren't happy at all with, with what happened. And, you know, I, really last year was a year where we didn't have a lot of adversity throughout the season. And, uh, we hit the playoffs at a time when we weren't playing our best hockey. We kind of swooned in the last 15 games or so. So uh, I would I would agree with your comment 100%. And it was something that the guys uh, were talking about a lot, about how important it was, you know, not necessarily to, to win the conference like we did last year, but just make sure that one of the teams that are there at the playoffs, and ultimately we're going to be judged on what happens at that point. So the players were looking forward to that, and hopefully we can get this uh, – this resumed when we get the the virus uh, under control, so that uh, we have an opportunity to to be judged the way that every player wants to be judged. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned uh, Marty Jelen, and I had the pleasure of playing with him in Florida. Uh, by the looks of him, he still looks like he's a beast of the gym. And how important is it to have a, a coach like him who leads the, uh, by example, who's on the bike pretty much every day? Is it great to have a, a coach like that 
uh, especially when you got uh, you know pretty much half the team under 26 years old? Oh, it's great. It's great. And you know they they watch they watch those old games. Like I got a lot of comments uh, from players texting in the other night about what a beast he was on the ice in that game seven uh, against Vancouver. Um, and you know, so the guys are he's not far too far removed from playing that the guys really see what he does or what he did as a player and they respect that. But having an example like him in terms of what it takes to be a, a, a really good professional, of course he was, and what a great teammate he was and what a great team glue guy that he that he was as a player. That carries over not only to our coaching staff, but it carries over to the rest of our team because he's able to sit down and talk to guys uh, through the eyes of a player that's been there and had to make some changes in his game to survive at the National Hockey League level. And, of course, you guys know uh, at every level as you move up this, this game, you're often asked to make changes in your game and your game has to adapt. And Marty's a great example of that, and he certainly does a great job in terms of communicating to our young team uh, what it takes to win at this level. Yeah, I wasn't a big with... I wasn't a big fan of his in that series. I can tell you that. <laughs> I was still in Vancouver. <laughs> oh, I know. It's it's funny how that works out. I wasn't a big fan of Mark Reckies when I was with the Oilers either when he was with Carolina, but I loved him when he got to Boston. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Amen to that. Jeff Ward with us uh, in conversation with the interim head coach of the Calgary Flames. Um, a tactical coaching question for you. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Only two right shot forwards on the Calgary Flames this season, Lindholm and Ryan. Am I right about that one? Yeah, that's correct. How, how difficult is that from a coaching point of view, from a tactical point of view? I know coaches you know, love the, the righty-lefty combination with pairs on D. How is it, or what are the... What are the issues that you deal with when you only have two right-hand shot forwards in your mix? Well, you hope you've got some guys that can play on their back end, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and we're, it does have an effect. And, you know, we asked uh, Matthew Kachuk to move over, and, you know, we've had some guys that have, at various points in the year that have moved over and played on the right side. And they did a really, really great job with it. And the biggest thing, of course, is to get used to playing on your back end more. Um you know, with some guys, and you see it in European hockey more so, uh, where they put guys on their off wings. And, you know, a guy like Johnny, when we played him on the offside for a little while, he was able to come back to pucks on his forehand and, and create some separation from some defense when they get to the middle of the ice and get going. But uh, it is a challenge for guys. Um, and our guys did a good job with it. But um, we just, you know, I think it would have been more helpful if we had some more right shot centers. Um, and at one point when we had. Uh, Elias Lindholm in the middle gave us Derek Ryan and Elias in the middle, which helped us in terms of coming through the neutral zone. They have the tendency to play more to their forehand, which which helped us on some entries. But uh, all in all, um, the guys got used to it over time. But we did have to have some growing pains there, and it, it definitely is a concern when you're when you're trying to do some things. Um, Michael Backlund finished this season, well, uh, went to the end of the pause here, uh, real hot, 22 points uh, in his last 16 games. The best hockey you've seen Michael Backlund play, true or false? Since I've been with the Flames, absolutely true. Um, he was such a he was such a, a beast for us in, in a lot of ways, uh, played some real, real great hockey for us in, in the transition period. And, you know, after the break, Last year when we kind of swooned, um, you know, we Michael and I had some meetings. Number one, first of all, about getting back to center, which, uh, you know, I think was a really good move for him. 
Um, he did an exemplary job on the wing uh, when he was there, but it was getting a little bit stale for him. And he came in and voiced a concern, and we moved him back to the middle. Um, and we, you know, we sort of talked about how important it is to to be more competitive than what we were. He really took that to heart, and uh, was a real, real leader for us in that in that way uh, for the rest of the season. And he's full marks for for the points that he was able to put up and the effect that he had for our hockey team. Uh, won the majority of his matchups on most nights, and and I just felt like he was much, much more hard to play against. I, I, his compete level went up a lot, and as a result, he was not only playing with the puck more, but he was harder to play against defensively. That is the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Jeff Ward, in conversation with the gang at Hockey Central in Toronto. Uh, Jeff Merrick, Brian Burke, and Anthony Stewart. All our guests joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. It's Pinder and Steinberg on a Tuesday on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, it's 4.54. Sports Drive at 5, a good one today. We've got Chris Johnston, NHL insider, a grimmer outlook on when uh, the sports world as we know it will resume. Of course, we're in day 20 of the sports apocalypse here on this uh, last day of March. Don't feel like April is going to be much better for sport, Patty. Uh, in fact, given that everything shut down on March 12th or so, yeah, April's not going to be great. Also, Lanny McDonald on the brighter side, he'll take you for some spins down memory lane with that 1989 Stanley Cup champion group. A lot of people remember the goal from Lanny in game six that got them the first Stanley Cup in franchise history, the only one in franchise history, and the only team to lift a cup in the Montreal Forum as a visitor. A little more... Uh, uplifting there people people forget about that Lanny story Pat uh that was the only goal he scored in the playoffs and he was a guy that was in and out of the lineup there were multiple stretches of games he did not suit up for that Flames group they were incredibly deep as you heard Colin Patterson tell us last week but uh it it was that's not always easy and so Lanny uh walks us through that dichotomy A, a former 66 goal scorer I believe when he arrived in Calgary all of a sudden uh, eyeballing what could be his final season and, and missing swaths of games in the playoffs before being, uh, you know, in that spot to score a huge goal in game six. Well, yeah, he only, like, even in the Stanley Cup final, he only played three of the games. He played game one and game two, then sat out game three, four, and five, got back in in game six. So, uh, you know, it was, it, it was, we all, uh, we all, us barely being alive at the time and Logan still a twinkle in his parents' eye. Um, you talk to people who followed the team and who remember 89 better than we do. Um, it seemed like, you know, probably a pretty good bet. That this is probably Lanny's final season uh, because only played 51 games in the regular season, only played 14 on that postseason run, yet still scored one of the two or three biggest goals, maybe the biggest goal in Calgary Flames history. You're right, had his best statistical season in his first full season as a member of the Calgary Flames in 82-83, 66 goals, 
98 points in 80 games. Um, that was his best statistical season as a Flame and best statistical season uh, in his Hall of Fame career. All right, so that's coming up uh, between five and six right now, though. I know you've uh, walked us through the sim on NHL 2020. The Flames, what, eking out a big victory on the road in Vancouver on Friday. Big one tonight against the Jets at the Scotiabank Saddlehome. It's the final three games, a homestand to close the year for the Flames. Uh, similar outcome in NHL 94, Pat. Uh, the Flames were on the body early and often. Pavel Burry injured just 76 seconds into the game. He would return Uh-oh. for the second period, but just wasn't the same Pavel Bure. Uh, Theo Fleury with a hat trick. Flames jump out to a 4-1 lead and uh, hit that thing into cruise control for a 6-4 win over Cortnell, Ronning, Lume, Lidster, Kirk McLean, and company. Bure, uh, when you can have him looking at the lights and done for the bulk of a period, that's, uh, that's a win for the Flames on the road. That's a big, so that's what, seven straight now for the uh, Pinder-controlled 1994 Calgary Flames? Seven in a row and eight and one since the, uh, make that nine and one, no, eight and one since the uh, uh, season was not uh, allowed to continue in real life. Uh, We've picked it up in 94, which I believe is the most realistic simulation of how things would be going. Never mind these current rosters and actual same players. Uh, You need the mystique of Sega Genesis NHL 94. And uh, no real blemishes for McInnes, kind of just fit in. It was a Theo Fleury-Gary Roberts night as the two combined for six points, a hat-trick for Fleury, and uh, Roberts all over the place. Big physical game from him up front. You, uh, and if you're just joining us, you've been a little down on Al McInnes. It took him a little while to warm up to new coach Pinder, but he has gotten back in the, uh, in the Pinder good books. He's been good. And you know what? We were utilizing him a little bit differently. And to be fair, the forwards uh, held the puck a lot. There was not a lot of work for the defense uh, in that Friday tilt against the Canucks. So uh, good good road effort, and they got three in a row at home. Vegas, who I can't seem to find in NHL 94, uh, will follow the Jets game tonight in the season eh? finale. Uh, season finale will be the Oilers, which will be a big one. That uh, I know can't wait for that. That it's a, Messier still there. I don't, no, Messier would be a Ranger at this point. Maybe the – I think they suck. Don't the Oilers suck? They would suck. They'd be awful. Mm, so that would have been come, that would that game would have come out uh, at the end of the ninety three ninety four season. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now because I've got a website that's got all the rosters. Here are the starters for the Edmonton Oilers: Peter Klima, Shane Corson, Doug Waite, Dave Manson, Igor Kravchuk, Bill Ramford. Net, they're a sixty seven rated club. That's probably seven to nine points worse than the Flames. The uh, Edmonton Oilers in the 93-94 season, which the ratings would have been uh, based off of, uh, mm-hmm. they finished last in the Pacific Division that year. Um, they went 25, 45, and 14, good for 64 points. They were 20 games below 500 that year. The only team worse yeah. than the Edmonton Oilers in the Western Conference that year were the Winnipeg Jets, um, who finished even lower below 500. They uh, finished uh, 27 games below 500 when it was all said and done. Flames well, that year were the number two team in the West and number one in the Pacific. Actually, don't mind the Jets in '94. Uh, Solani is just a force of nature. Zamnov and Steen up front, good complementary players. Housley and Newman on the back end. You can sub in Freddie Olsen if you need to. 
and Bob Essence and Net. They're a strong team on uh, in the '94 version, but uh, clearly not in the standings in '93. How does it work now? I haven't played NHL '94 in ages. I used to binge that game as like a 12 year old, but um, mm-hmm. at my buddy's place who had a, a Genesis, but I haven't played it in ages. So, like, is it just the same six guys the entire time? You can turn line changes on or off. And you can also vary the period length, 5, 10, or 20 minutes. You can have offsides on or off, ditto for penalties, icings. So, you, you can definitely roll lines if you want to, but. A lot of these teams are just slugs, the bottom two lines. It's You want to play with the, the skill players, so turn line changes off and let the Berets and Ronicks and McGillneys and Solanis and Flurries go head-to-head the whole game. That's the move. So essentially it's the same five skaters the entire time? Yes. Now you can sub in and out, but yes, it's just no line changes. So you basically okay. three forwards, two D, and a goal. I like it. Rock and roll. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Uh, around the corner, Chris Johnson, our NHL insider. Uh, it sounds like uh, eh, gloomy day in Toronto. Winter's back in Calgary, and uh, there doesn't appear to be any sort of break in the sports apocalypse here on day 20. He'll give us uh, the latest on what he's hearing about NHL scheduling and what a likely outcome could be. Sports at 960 The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And welcome to the Sports Drive at 5. Coming up on the final hour of our show today, we're going to check in with Lanny McDonald a little bit closer to 6 o'clock. Lanny's going to set us up perfectly for our 7 o'clock Calgary Flames Rewind Flames and Habs 1989 Game 6 Stanley Cup Final. Lanny a little bit later on this hour, but first, lots to talk about when it comes to NHL news and a whole lot more. It's time for our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. CJ, uh, these uh, crazy and un uncharted times continue how are you holding up what's going on in toronto not a whole lot i'm uh i'm kind of in one here it's uh we've had some crappy weather so even when i've been getting outside it hasn't been too pleasant and to be honest this is all feeling a little bit heavier the longer it goes on and uh you know the more i'm, I'm talking to people you just get the feeling um that there's sort of a, a feeling of dread in the air so i'm trying to to fight that off but you know i can't deny that there, there's uh, a little bit around uh, the conversation right now I feel like yesterday was a tough day for people, and maybe it was, you know, regionally specific. You mentioned it's not great weather in Toronto. Yesterday was cold, and we got, got drilled with an afternoon storm of snow, um, and <laughs> then it was just sort of the realization of like, oh yeah, another week of this, and there's no end in sight. Uh, that's uh, I feel like Mondays are still crappy days, even in this uh, what day is it of the week pandemic, right? For sure. And, and look, I, you know, I don't know how much people out there are thinking about, you know, where would I be now if this hadn't happened, but we would be in the final week of the regular season right now. And so anyone still that's of a sporting mind and, and certainly a hockey fan or is connected to the game, you know, as we are professionally, you, you know, you're just thinking of how great this week would, would normally be um, if all this hadn't happened. And, and it just feels as though, you know, we're only getting started uh, to be honest. So um you know, I, I don't know, I don't know the answer for us all, but uh, you know, we're all in it together. I guess that's that's the one silver lining here. 
Uh, it's a big week for the Flames. Jets tonight at home, then Vegas on Thursday, and they wrap the regular season Saturday night on Hockey Night with the Oilers. So we're pumped about uh, the games that would have been being played if uh, this wasn't the case. It is rough that way, isn't it? Yeah, it would have been uh, would have been a fun week. I mean, and, and you know, I had every expectation we were going to see, especially in the Pacific, but you know, even league wide, that we were going to see some some pretty tight playoff races right down into these couple days, and and we'd obviously be pretty focused on that uh, right now, and you know, probably was going to go down to Saturday, even just to determine who plays whom in, in the first round, uh, because the the standings were so bunched when when everything paused three weeks ago. So, um, you know. I guess at some point we'll get past thinking about this. You know, obviously if the NHL comes to a decision at some point to to say the season's canceled, then then it won't be an everyday kind of where are we going, what's what's possible. You know, I think that might clear out some of the uncertainty here. But um, you know, obviously, you know, I don't know if you just saw, but the, the city of Toronto just uh, canceled all events through June 30th. I mean, it just feels like these dates that that the decisions are being made on are further and further and further in the future, and that's that's kind of supposed to be the light at the end of the tunnel i guess yeah yeah and here we're kind of looking at the early july event that is on everyone's calendar and puts calgary on the map for a lot of people the stampede is uh very much something that we're worried about could it for the first time ever not happen uh it's this is getting very real and a very long-term view moving forward let's get to uh some news the players association in the league have agreed on a hrr total from last season hockey related revenue and from that, uh, what happens to the escrow money the league collected last year is determined. Maybe walk us through what's happened for last year, and I suppose try to untangle the knot of what would happen to this season's revenue, uh, given it's going to be a massive shortfall and what kind of a mess that creates for next year. Well, in, in a bubble, this is good news for the players because they're getting back uh, basically 3% of their paychecks from the 2018-19 season. Uh, you know, money that was withheld from them at the time they were paid to to make sure that that everything works out 50-50 in terms of, uh, you know, what the, the owner's take of revenues and what the, the player's total sum is. So, you know, guys will be getting some, some money back in addition to these final couple paychecks that they've gotten since the season's been paused. You know, I think where the downside of this comes in is that it's hard to not, you know, think about what's just happened for the 2019-20 season. Uh, in which 14% of players' checks were were taken um, right through till now. There's one paycheck actually remaining, April 15th for players from from this season, and there's still an ongoing discussion among the players. But but likely they're going to end up giving back a whole lot more than 14% on that one to try to start making up for some of the the difference that's going to apply here. You know, maybe as much as 50%. I've been told they might give back on the last check. But you know, the reality is, if the season's done, depending on whose numbers you believe, it's anywhere from 1 billion to 1.2 billion uh, of of the league's total revenue for this season that will be lost. And, you know, in in what's supposed to be a $5 billion season this year, that's anywhere from 20% to a little bit more. And and I think that, you know, as we cast forward, there's, there's a number of ways the league will probably, and the players will, will, will talk about maybe accounting for that. You know, I've heard some talk about, you know, maybe you keep the salary cap flat for the next four or five years. Um, you know, to allow essentially the system to catch up to itself, you, you cap escrow, uh, and it's almost like a deferred payment back to the owners. If, if you think of it that way, you know, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it, if, if it isn't done, if it isn't handled in a special way, which I do think is certainly possible, I mean, players could be giving back, you know, 30 or 35% of their paychecks next year, 
um, just because of, you know, making up for the, the, the difference in, in where the revenues were at and, and, you know, may also have to pay back for this season because the 14% that's been taken at this point, it's pretty clear, even if there is a resumption to the schedule, you know, they're going to owe back more than that for this year. Yeah, and it's geez, that's that's a huge. I mean, if escrow was the biggest issue for players before, and they weren't happy about fourteen percent, a third of your paycheck that's that's a devastating number, and that's that's scary stuff. And from well, a general I think manager that's point, why, of view, though, we we should say Ryan though that there probably is going to be a labor agreement out of this. I mean, yeah, if, if we're looking for silver linings to be found, is I think there's going to be there's there's very likely to be a creative solution to not have it be thirty percent. I mean, obviously. The, month, the equivalent of that 30% is going to have to be paid in some way, shape, or form. It'll probably be spread out over multiple years and, and made a little bit more palatable that way. Um, but I do think, you know, that, that we're, we're very likely to see the league and the players just through these circumstances have to, um, you know, work together in a way they don't, you know, they haven't always done in the past. And, and you know, you, who knows, they might get a seven or eight year CBA extension out of it. I mean, there's, there is the possibility here for some, some positive news, but, you know, right now it's it's hard not to think of the negative stuff, like the fact that the business is taking such a huge hit, and that's going to be shouldered by both the players and the owners. Chris Johnson joining us, our NHL insider, Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. One quick more, one more from me before I pass it to Patty. Just if we're looking at a flat cap moving forward, do you think there's a push from ownership or GMs or the league to to have another amnesty buyout, given that everyone's worked under the premise that the cap will only grow and never shrink, and even staying flat seems to be like going backwards. Would, do you see that as another solution? There's a lot of teams that can't really afford to, a flat cap with, with the, the raises they need and the obligations they already have. Yeah, I, I could see that being part of it. I mean, you know, it's, it's not even great always for owners to have those amnesty buyouts because, yeah, they don't count on, on your cap or in the system, but it's still money you have to pay uh, to players not to play for your team. You know, I, I believe there's two last time around. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, when when the, the deal was reached in 2012-13, and you know part of that was just to transition again from contracts that had already be given out and give teams a chance to to reset the books a little bit. And you know I I could definitely see that coming into play here, just because you know especially if they're agreeing for multiple seasons down the road, uh, which you know is not done, but I just think it, it's certainly an idea that some influential people in the industry have thought about or are talking about that I've caught wind of is the idea it could be three or four years or even beyond with the same uh, threshold at at the top of the salary cap. Um, You know, I think that that's one way to do it because, you know, even teams that have given out six or seven or eight year contracts in recent years have done so until March 11th with the thought that, you know, that the cap will continue to rise because that's what it's done historically ever since it was created back in 2005. I mean, in every single year it's gone up. Um, but you know, clearly we've, we've reached a point where this isn't like any other year that that's happened before, you know, in the salary cap era. And so, you know, I think that amnesty buyouts could definitely be part of it. I think that you, you'll likely see ownership push for the players not to be able to get say, say signing bonuses in, in their contracts or, or have, you know, the kind of, you know, years like, you know, some of the, the, the big signings the leaps have made like Tavares is making a $15 million signing bonus right now. I think that you'll see stuff like that potentially eliminated and just have the money spread a little bit more evenly uh, throughout the course of the contracts. CJ, have you been able to, you talked about the hit that the business is taking right now. Have you been able to 
um, wrap your head around or pinpoint like what type of dollar figure we're talking about, dollar figures we're talking about, and projections uh, if the NHL comes back here or there or doesn't come back in terms of what the business hit here is? Well, the one thing I haven't been able to get a good number on from anybody, and I've certainly been asking, is you know if they are able to jump back into the playoffs and they do so without fans, which looks like you know, it's going to have to be the case if, if this is even possible at all. You know, what do they stand to gain back? Uh, because if you're talking about a $1 billion to $1.2 billion loss, if there's no season at all, I mean, I don't even know how much could be clawed back just by playing games essentially on television. And, um, you know, so kind of leads me to think, all right, maybe they can get back a couple hundred million out of that. But, I mean, either way, we're, we're still talking about, you know, revenue numbers that haven't been seen in a long time in the NHL uh, because the league has grown. Now, you know, there are some other things on the horizon here with the, the US TV deal that we've talked about. Uh, the fact that Seattle is, is, you know, a year away from joining the league and, and you know, should be a, a pleasant news story and, and a, you know, another big market to add that, that can be making money the way we saw Vegas a few years back when they came in expansion. So, you know, I think that there's there's some things on the horizon that, that can give the league some confidence They'll, they'll be in a position to grow the revenues once you get through this this period where COVID-19 is, is wreaking havoc with, with all the sports leagues and many industries beyond the, the one that we cover. Um, but, you know, it, it seems like at minimum it's a 20% hit, you know, a billion dollars right now. And, and you know, I, I don't really know how much you're getting back with TV. Obviously, you know, I guess we should should ask my bosses what the, how the TV deals work exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, that, that Sportsnet isn't having to pay the full bill this year uh, for the rights fees if there is no playoffs. And so, you know, between that and the deal they have with NBC, you know, that there's probably at least some TV money to be regained. I think there's something symbolic about getting back. I don't think it's implausible to think that there'll be interest just because we've been without sports, although I don't know how we're all going to feel in July and August. Maybe not everyone's going to want to sit around the TV at night after we've been in the houses so much. But, um, you know, it's 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 going to be a big number, uh, even if they get games in, and, and if they don't, uh, you know, it's it's a huge loss for the league. The news of the day from the NHL. I, I don't know if this could be considered a surprise, but they have extended the self quarantine or self isolation period to April fifteenth. Tell us a little bit more about what this means and and how the NHL is approaching this in in kind of short term increments. Yeah, essentially, I mean, I would would put money if we could bet on such a thing on it moving again before the, the, the self quarantine period's lifted. You know, essentially, what the league has done because you know the spread of this virus changes so much from time to time. You know, the league has basically set these little targets. Originally, it was March 27th, and it was moved to April 4th, which is later this week, and then now it's been pushed to April 15th, and and you know that's allowing them to to kind of bite it off in chunks and to you know get 10 more days you know from now to you know, somewhere around April 10th or 11th, probably when they'll make a decision on what they're doing with the 15th. Uh, you know, they can see how this thing is spreading, if there's any evidence of it, um, you know, flatlining in terms of the curve of, of COVID-19 and, and just get a feeling, I guess, of some progress is being made. And until that progress is there, you know, I think you're going to continue to see this this self-quarantine window push back. And, you know, why it's significant right now is, you know, April 15th, you know, that's more than a month from, from March 12th when the pause came into effect. You know, I'd say for a very large percentage of NHL players that have been observing that self-quarantine window that, that they haven't been on skates in that, that time and, you know, have no reasonable prospect to. I know a few of the guys 
uh, that have traveled over to Europe, to Sweden specifically, where they, they haven't enacted the same kind of rules we've seen here. I know that, that some of the Swedish guys have been on the ice, uh, you know, as part of the training they're able to do right now. But, you know, in general, you know, you're looking at at least a month where most of the league is, is going to not be doing that. And obviously that will factor in any potential return to play scenario is just how long uh, the guys need to get their conditioning up and, and be on the ice and, and all those things. And, you know, let's face it, it's possible that this disease and, and, and or this virus rather, and, and the decisions made by the government and the health organizations might take all this out of the league's hands anyway, and maybe they'll have to postpone the season. But right now when they're still trying to keep the light on, you know, those are sort of significant benchmarks and, you know, really what this tells me is you've got another 10 or 11 days where very little is, is expected to change, you know, in terms of what the players can do and what the league is hoping. And uh, we just got to hope, you know, maybe in 10 or 11 days that there's a better feeling around this thing and they're able to at least start to chart a path back. You uh, you said kind of right off the offset that, you know, it, there's, there's kind of a grim feeling right now. Is that is is that related specifically to what you're hearing out of NHL circles right now, just that maybe the the optimism level isn't as high now as, as it was even last week? Yeah, I think that that's, it's, it's a, that feeling. And, and you know, look, at some of it might just be my mood. I mean, like you guys, I've been <laughs> at home now for 18 or 19 days. I mean, it's not all bad, but, you know, it, it's, it's still such a huge adjustment from what I would call normal life or what I'm used to, that, that part of it could be me. But, you know, I do think that, it gets a little heavier as you get deeper into it. I mean, you start with a good mindset, you start thinking this might not be so bad. And then the, the more things that are getting canceled and the more the dates are getting pushed back, I think, you know, people are starting to feel like the, the chances of the return are, are getting a little bleaker and getting a little more distant. And, you know, for, for some of us that that was, you know, at least, you know, a potential uh, light at the end of the tunnel, uh, even if it was a weird playoff, it might still be kind of cool. What, what, kind of tournament they could come up with you know the idea of getting back and, and seeing the games you know I, I think that would have been a positive thing it's just starting to feel less and less likely and and um you know so i think that that's part of it and i, and I do think in, uh, you know as the industry everyone understands this everyone understands that, that that's you know becoming a little bit tougher of a reality to imagine and let's face it there's no no, no meaningful sports anywhere in the world right now i guess other than esports that are being played anywhere so you know, it's um, you know, it's a strange time, and as I say, maybe the the weather will get nicer here. The snow will stop flying in Calgary yesterday afternoon, and uh, we'll all feel a little bit better in, in the days to come. You, uh, your one of your latest pieces up at uh, Sportsnet.ca is, and and I find it interesting because we've heard kind of different differing thoughts on this and i know that you've been on most of the little zoom conferences the nhl has done over the last few days and you know connor mcdavid in the pacific division one last week basically said that he doesn't think it's fair if the nhl jumps right into the playoffs and and they should probably try to do some regular season hockey first ovechkin and crosby say might be fun to jump right into the playoffs what's what's your feel on i, I know that ideal doesn't really exist right now but what's your feel on on the ideal way that um the nhl would like to to structure things if they're able to structure things in any given way well i think there's a general understanding that the regular season is is done and you know there's still there's still some ways maybe to do this i mean maybe you hold sort of quote-unquote exhibition games involving some of the teams that are getting started back up and just in terms of getting in some of the reps that the players might want to get in 
before jumping into, you know, game one of the Battle of Alberta or something like that, which I think is what Connor was saying. He just was having trouble imagining going from this period right into, you know, the way that that series would feel and, and be. And like you said, it'd be Bakersfield Stockton at some point if yeah. um, with all the injuries, I guess, is what he was meaning there, if it started that way. Um, you know, but I, I do think it's it's unlikely, highly unlikely that the league's going to try to force every team back and, and make them go through training camps or something like that. You know, it just seems as though the the smaller the window is going to get here for them to play. And to me, I mean, look, I don't, I don't know what the city of Toronto's announcement bearings has on the, the entire league, but if certainly if other NHL cities start following suit and June 30th is the new date that you can't hold events before, I mean, you're, you're start you're already talking about the earliest they could start is July 1st for a playoff, just based on what, you know, potentially what some of these jurisdictions that the league plays in are, are saying is allowed, you know, where they are. So, um, you know, we might already be looking at July 1st as the best case scenario to start the playoffs. It just feels as though they're not going to, you know, waste any time with the remaining regular season games. I don't think there's going to be even a, a reasonable chance to try to get everybody to say the same number, 74, or pick what what you've mm-hmm. had. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, while those decisions haven't been made officially or communicated, I, I just think there is a, a general understanding at this point that it, if if the, the league can return, that it's probably – straight into a playoffs out of the training camps, which maybe include an exhibition game or some sort of scrimmage thing. You know, I, I get what the players want ideally, but let's face it, this is, you know, this is such a strange, unprecedented sort of event that, that I think getting anything in at this point would, would be ranking as a bit of a success. Chris Johnson is our NHL insider, joins us from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I have no idea how we spent 20 minutes actually talking about the business of the sport. That's uh, that's incredible and huge. <laughs> I, feel like, I, I usually like to be a ray of light, but I've just been like a big yeah. Debbie Downer here. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's honest. <laughs> it's not right. pretending everyone's going to be back to work by Easter. I know that. Um, we asked Elliot Who yesterday. Who would have done that? What are you talking about? Uh, it's, yeah, it's no one's that stupid. Fiction. Come on. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Elliot Friedman told us about three books he was reading that he's into. What has uh, helped you spell the time? What, what's something you can recommend anyone that's just twiddling the skin off their thumbs right now? Well, Elliot, the academic, is doing much better t- things with his time than I am, it sounds like. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've largely been trying to, to get some exercise uh, making my own food, which I don't get to do a lot during the season, and then watching some Netflix. So I just got through the Tiger King. I, I can't say I yes. recommend it. Um, <laughs> I didn't hate it, but I, you know, I got to the end of it, and it felt a little bit. It's sort of like eating junk food, where you're excited ahead of time, you're enjoying it during, yeah. and then you get to the end, and there's like an empty feeling. Uh, that, that's yeah. kind more of like an uncomfortable feeling. Hey. Yeah, and like there's no winners, and I was kind of hoping they all went down, and, and without giving anything away, and. Anyway, it was it was a weird show, but um, I'll happily take any advice you guys have because I'm I'm currently showless at the moment. I'm in the process of rewatching the all of the Star Wars with my kids who have seen half of the, A New Hope, the 1977. So that uh, that leaves a lot of canvas ahead of us. So we're 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 good. We're doing Star Wars You're Lego and starting in Episode One. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I am or not. <laughs> I sometimes. Were you- yeah. Were you a uh, were you a Breaking Bad fan, CJ? I, I never actually saw much of it. I saw a little bit of it, but um, I don't know. I'm agnostic on that show. 
I'd give it a, I'd give it another episode. try because you could you can binge it and you can get through the slow first few episodes and really get into the action and most people once they get through the first four or five episodes they're hooked because it really starts to get good and you can do that and go right into the uh, Better Call Saul companion show that comes after that that would be uh, that would be my recommendation that'll kill off a, a good chunk of time for you. Perfect. Well, I've got the real estate ahead of me here to to devote to that so. But, uh, I'll start on that, and we'll, we'll talk next time we talk. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. There's CJ Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, not the most uh, uplifting news we've had ever, but uh, there's just more and more information pat collecting that suggests there ain't a quick fix to what we're going through uh not just in north america but around the globe and there's a reason that all leagues minus the bell russian football league have decided not to operate i know that different leagues are looking at ways they can get back in action some form uh premier league uh, in england is is looking at ways they can do things um yeah. i know the the nhl is is trying to figure out if there's a way they can have some sort of playoff tournaments whether there are fans in stadiums or not i would guess probably not nba is looking at doing the same thing uh and and how does major league baseball get started in this is is major league baseball the one that is hardest hit when it's all said and done uh, because of how many games, like you think about, you miss a couple months in the NHL, you know, that's a good chunk of games, but think of the revenue that baseball is losing here at 162 games and the amount of games that they're going to be sacrificing when it's all said and done. So it's a, uh, it's a fascinating time we're living in right now in the world, obviously, but also in the world of sports. Well, and, and I, I want to take that a little further. So, while you're right with the number of dates that Major League Baseball has, is there any pro sport that has a greater percentage of revenue derived from actual people paying to get in the venue than the NHL? Like certainly of the big four, it's the of most the big four. No, they're the most of the, get, the, the most gate so, league for sure. Yeah, and so I wonder, like, how appealing is playing games in empty stadiums and empty rinks? Like, if we're talking about the PA and the league saying we got to get some money coming in. Like we're, we're short a billion plus dollars. We got to take a bite out of that if we can in August. I don't know how much revenue they're actually adding. If they give us TV properties. Well, what did, uh, what August. did CJ just said there? They, that he, if they could, if they could recap a hundred, $200 million of the, the money the recoup rather a hundred, $200 million of what they're losing, then maybe they would think about doing that. And um, I, I would imagine that, you're going to be able to make some money, add revenue, um, and I think that there. But you don't probably... get add revenue. You, you have TV rights deals that are in place. So Fair. it's not more, like if more... ratings double, your revenue doubles. That's not the case at all. Well, I, you'd I be getting you'd be the... getting some money back that you lose because you're. Sure. I would imagine you're going to be getting money back that um, that you're not getting right now because games aren't getting played and the playoffs aren't getting played. Right. And the other thing, when I talk about ad revenue, I mean more on a corporate sponsorship side of things. I just wonder what the 
what the appetite's going to be. Let's just let's just assume that say that the the NHL does come back in July or August, and they do find a way to get a month and a half of hockey in to decide a Stanley Cup winner that year. You know, what is the appetite going to be like for some of these corporate sponsors to get on board? I would suggest I don't know for sure, but I'd suggest knowing that you know we've been pretty starved for it. There's going to be an appetite to get your name back out there and and to get yourself attached to a property again. So. Um, I, I I do think they'll be able to recoup some of the money that they'll they'll have lost, but definitely not the majority of the money. They're, this is going to be a uh, a year in the red for the NHL and and I would assume probably the NBA and um, most pro sports leagues are going to be offer offering uh, operating rather at a loss this year. Yeah, and I'll I'll just say this: like there is no league that has less incentive to play in front of empty stadiums than the NHL. So we'll see if if it's worth the minimal increase in revenue compared to all other big four sports, which have so much more money coming in that don't have to do with butts and seats. It's not an easy thing to untangle to be sure. And it's a decision they may or may not even be faced with depending on how this goes. We'll come back more reaction to that and a look ahead to Lanny McDonald, our chat with him, the captain of the 1989 Stanley cup champion Calgary flames, Pinder and Steinberg sports drive at five sports at nine sixty. the fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. We'll still hear from Lanny McDonald at uh, about 22, I'll suggest, Pat. I went too long there, but I really am starting to wonder how much is to be gained by playing in empty venues versus having a full regularly paced and organized 2021 season and that's uh, these are the types of decisions that uh, well the heavyweights in the nhl league offices are going to be weighing not to let me bounce like here, here's what i know a hundred million dollars is still a hundred million dollars and if they can recoup a hundred mil of that yeah it might only be a tenth of what they lost but it's still a lot of money. And and I do, like, is it going to be as much from a lucrative standpoint as, as the NBA or Major League Baseball? No, because those television rights deals are larger and they pay more money. But, I mean. Much larger, yeah. We're still talking about, it's, it's not pennies either, right? Like, it's, and, and this is a nope. business. And losing $800 million as opposed to $900 million, I, I still think they'd rather lose the 800 as opposed to 900 And if they can make up $100 million of that, uh, they'll do it. And the players will push for it. And, and I just – and if you can but, make that up and still have 82 games and full revenue next year, I think they'll do it every day of the week if they can. It might be out of their hands. It could very well be out of their, out of their hands. But if it's not and they can – I 100% believe they will. Well, the great assumption is that you can run next year as normal if you're starting it in November. And, oh, yeah, revenues are just going to be the same, even though we've tapped a lot of these clients to pay for content in August or September, whatever it is. I mean, if you can assume full revenue for 2021, absolutely you do it. But I just wonder how reasonable that is. Clearly, the All-Star Weekend is something that's very important to the league or it wouldn't happen every year. The players don't care for it. It's all about, you know, there's value there. That gets taken off the table if you, you know, compress a playoff tournament of any sort into the summer, you start in November. And I'm not saying that's going to equal 100 million, but what I am saying is you can't expect a normal universe if you're starting a season in November and 
ramming games closer together and asking people to spend more money over a shorter amount of time for the product. So uh, I, I think they'd love to get it in, but I don't know that this virus is going to cooperate and give them the runway to, to, to do it to the level that I think uh, the PA and the league would want to, which would be to a point where you're not having to discuss escrow around the level of one third, which is mm. incredible because it's driving players nuts when it's between nine and 14%. Imagine a third-year paycheck getting lopped off and given yeah. back to billionaire owners. They don't like that one bit. I would suggest that if the league can get games, get playoff games in starting in August, some point in August, and can put together four rounds of the playoffs in some semblance starting in August and finishing mid to late September, I think they'll do it and start the regular season in november is it ideal of course not by no means is it ideal uh by any stretch of the imagination i still think they'll do it if the runway is there whether or not the runway is presented to them and and that's that's even operating on like them running out of five cities and neutral sites and empty arenas i don't even know if that runway is going to be available for them but if it is Mm -hmm. I, i do think they'll do it uh, we'll come back on a much less businessy and more positive note. Stanley Cup champion, 1989 captain of the Calgary Flames, Lanny McDonald, Hall of Famer, actually sits on the board of the Hall of Fame as well, and a Hall of Fame human uh, with some tales of social isolation, grandparenting, and of course, the only Stanley Cup in Calgary Flames history. That's next. Pinner and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960. The- Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Hall of Fame hockey player and human in 1989, Stanley Cup champion, Lanny McDonald. Lanny, how are you? Well, I'm as good as I can possibly be under the circumstances. And yes, maybe... uh, Uh, Someone was sending us a message throwing a little bit uh, more snow and cold weather our way to make sure people abide by uh, social distancing (laughs) and staying inside. That's uh, that's one positive. I think uh, no one's keen to run out to the park right now, though they're all closed anyway. Uh, How have you been holding up? Have you got a routine going? Have you found some normalcy in this weird time? I don't think there is normalcy uh, in in this time. Uh, Ardell and I have been uh, caregivers uh, and uh, loving grandparents to our three-year-old and six-year-old since this started uh, two and a half weeks ago. And uh, we get them every day today because I had a board meeting with the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, my son-in-law took uh, the morning off so that I could get through the board meeting. And yeah, it it has been a whole lot of fun on that front. Uh, and when you have a three and a six year old uh, going uh, hell bent for leather, uh, you don't have time to worry about a uh, whole lot of other things. So you know what, it's been an absolute blast. We, we set up an obstacle course downstairs uh, and uh, there's jumping, there's ball throwing. Uh, you got to crawl under obstacles. Uh, we're going to make the most of it. And when it's warm enough, we go out and slide uh, outside. And yeah, it's it's been wonderful to have Reese and Evan 
around while mom and dad try and make sense uh, of the airline business. No kidding. Uh, I could see that sort of looking like an American gladiator set, set up in the basement. You're, you're grooming some future Olympians in a sport that's yet to, to be formed, right? Well, I, I remember uh, my brother, who was four years older than me, uh, letting me play hockey and all kinds of sports, baseball uh, with his friends. And he had two rules. Uh, there's no whining. And if you can't keep up, you're out of the game. And so three-year-old Reese uh, has the benefit right now of uh, trying to track down his uh, bigger brother. And uh, he is running like a deer these days, and we are laughing as much as we can. I love it. We've been uh, playing some of the, the vintage sports games, be it on Sportsnet TV or radio. We're going to get into uh, a World Series run from the Blue Jays next week on these airwaves. We've been playing this week a lot of the – the great games from that 1989 run. We chatted with a bunch of your teammates. The morning show had Mike Vernon on today. We chatted with Colin Patterson last week, Joel Otto yesterday. But your persona and your, I guess, role on that 89 team was a very interesting one and an immensely successful career. But you also weren't at the peak of your playing days. In fact, it was the last game you played where you hoisted the Stanley Cup. Walk us through that 89 run through your eyes because it would be very different than a lot of the other players' experience. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting in your career when you first start out, you're fighting for ice time, uh, trying to find your way, trying to get comfortable and get your confidence. And when your career is just about over, it's interesting because you're fighting for ice time, you're fighting uh, for finding out where you fit in and what role you play. And uh, I didn't play. I think I only played about uh, 50 uh, games that year, uh, and certainly not all of them in the playoffs. But uh, when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, you do whatever it takes as a team player uh, to find a role. And uh, you, you know what? It was a fantastic year when you think about I think it was March 7th, uh, I scored my 1,000th goal, uh, March uh, 21st. Uh, and I could be wrong on these dates, uh, March 21st, uh, 500th goal. And then less than two and a half months span, uh, you get uh, the hat trick, uh, 1,000 points, 500 goals, and Stanley Cup. And you walk away and say, yeah, baby, that was a hell of a ride. <laughs> No kidding. Lanny McDonald joining us on Pinder and Steinberg, Stanley Cup champion in 1989 with the Flames. Lanny, so take us through your mindset in game six. I think Patter told the story on Friday where you uh, talked to him on the bench or just before the game, said, I think I'm going to score tonight. You hadn't played since, <laughs> I believe, game two of the series. So what was your mindset going into game six, knowing that you, know, you, could, you could win it all that night? Well, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, I didn't play game three, four, or five um, and wasn't sure if I was going to play uh, game six. I was sitting in the dressing room, and Patter and I loved to sit together. We had a great friendship, still do. Uh, and and some of the boys, I'm not that old, but some of the boys tease Patter that he's my adopted son. Um, and... And I'm going to claim him on income tax this year, so hopefully that works. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we were sitting there, 
uh, in the dressing room and we were talking about he got this new batch of sticks, these new Hesplers, that every stick weighed about 30 pounds each. We begged him not to, you know, play with them, keep the old ones. And no, he was he was doing a favor for a buddy, and sure enough, uh, he goes and scores the first goal. And as we were sitting there before the game, I said, you know, I scored my very first goal here in the Montreal Forum. It would be pretty cool to score my last goal here if that's the way it works out uh, and walk away with the Stanley Cup. And Patter and I uh, threw uh, knuckles at each other and and said, okay, let's go do it. And sure enough, both of us score. You walk away uh, with the Stanley Cup, the only team to ever win it in Montreal, which is a feat in itself. And I'm still so grateful to the fans in Montreal. They, they had never seen anyone, if you can imagine, win the Cup before on their ice. And they stayed and applauded a great series. And and man, was it cool! And what a what a great plane ride home. We we've uh, Patter told the story on Friday. I've I've heard the story many times from from different guys on that team. But you guys uh, you guys went through some beverages as you made your way to the <laughs> airport and made your way back to Calgary. Hey, well, we certainly did. Uh, uh, El Murray, uh, our assistant trainer, Bearcat's son, uh, had had uh, figured out that uh, he could he could borrow from uh, the customs people a set of uh, uh, bolt cutters, and he could get the Stanley Cup up the back door of the airplane. Uh, it was one of those that had a front entrance and a back one, and he said, "Should I bring it up on board?" and, and uh, I think the captains were all there, and we all said absolutely. So we shielded it, put a uh, out of order sign on the bathroom, and uh, about half an hour from uh, the time we took off, the the pilot came on and said, uh, "Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest. If you turn around and and look, uh, oh, and by the way, congratulations on winning the Stanley Cup." And everyone turns around, and El Murray brings the Stanley Cup uh, out of uh, the bathroom. Well, the place went crazy. We tried to talk Cliff Fletcher into landing the plane in Winnipeg to get more booze. Uh, we were <laughs> desperately running a little short. Uh, and then we get off the plane in Calgary. He didn't fall for it, uh, by the way. We get off the plane in Calgary, and there's <laughs> like 15,000 people uh, waiting for us. Uh, we were in uh, different stages of disarray. Ties were cut. Uh, uh, clothes were half ripped. It didn't really matter. Uh, uh, we were carrying the Stanley Cup, and everyone got to celebrate. Yeah. Did you, like at that time, even going into game six, like were you pretty sure that however the season was going to end, that was going to be it for you? Or did that decision come after you won in game six? You know, I, I didn't really think about it. Uh, like, all I was trying to do is concentrate and find a way to help uh, the team win. And I think I retired officially on August 28th. 
And I, I look back and I, I know that it took me that whole summer. I had a couple opportunities uh, to do something uh, else and decided I always loved the way Jean Beliveau uh, retired in Montreal. Uh, speaking of Montreal, uh, he could have played another four years. Like he was one of the top scorers. He won, won the cup, I think in 71 and walked away. And I always thought, oh my gosh, what a cool way to end your career. Mind you, he'd already won, I think, uh, seven or eight Stanley Cups. So it, it was totally different than than mine. But uh, at the end of the summer, it just made more sense. You know what? Uh, walk away. Uh, 16 years was a hell of a run. And time to move on with the next phase of my life. The, I, I don't know if in the moment you would have been able to think about it when you scored that go-ahead goal in game six, but looking back, is it almost kind of like, yeah, you know, whether it's a higher power or karma or whatever you decide to believe in, there is something meant to be that night in Montreal? Well, there was a higher power because I got back to the bench and the guys were all mobbing me. I wanted that higher power to end the game right then. Like, okay, get it over with. Let's <laughs> not take a chance. Um, cause at that time, I think we went up two to one and, yep. uh, obviously we had quite a bit, uh, of time to, uh, play. And, uh, speaking of Colin Patterson, uh, Colin Patterson, Dougie Gilmore and, and, uh, Joey Mullen were a phenomenal, uh, line all the way through the playoffs, but especially in that final game and, and those guys scored three out of the four goals. Uh, the whole team played uh, awesome, uh, but to to win in Montreal form and to to win against a great team and kind of get, uh, uh, we'll call it even, uh, after losing in 86, uh, I guess that was really meant to be. So... The, the the final thing that, that I wanted to ask you about that, that 1989 run, and it's funny, we were talking to Joel Otto yesterday because we played Game 7 of the first-round series with the Flames and Vancouver Canucks, and he obviously oh. scored that Game 7 overtime winner and kind of asked him about, well, from that point forward, the team only lost three more games, a sweep, a five-game, and a six-game series win. Vancouver pushed you as hard as it possibly can be, and, and they were that close to pulling off a, a massive upset. What changed from that point forward after you got out of the Smythe Division semi and and were past the Canucks and past round one? What clicked for the group in your eyes? Well, if you look at, uh, at the way the league is set up uh, these days and even back then, uh, everyone's kind of healthy when you go into that first round. And I think back uh, then in that first round, you played four games in five nights. Uh, uh, but even if you didn't, by the time the seventh, seventh game came around, you were totally exhausted. There wasn't a whole lot left. And, and I think about uh, uh, game seven and, and the breakaway with, uh, with Stan Smeal, uh, in overtime, uh, the one-timer by Tony Tanti and the one-timer on Patrick Squico that Mike Vernon made uh, was like a godsend. And then all of a sudden, 
uh, we score a very legitimate goal, I might add, with the with Pepinots, and and there was such a relief that you got through it, and then uh, the very next uh, next series against LA and playing against Gretzky and and uh, uh, they had a very good uh, club as well. And they they tried to get physical with us, and and I remember the we had a couple of uh, barn burner brawls uh, in the middle of that, and uh, yeah, it, it was fun, uh, especially after we got through that first round to find a way to to uh, beat an old nemesis in Gretzky and get that behind us, and now we're on our way. And Chicago, even though it took. Uh, Five games, uh, they were tough games, but nothing like that first series. And then, okay, Montreal, uh, we owe you one. Here we come. He is Lanny McDonald, 1989 Stanley Cup champion and uh, absolute Calgary Flames legend, joining us here on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. Lanny, it's so neat watching you interact with your teammates from that 1989 squad and we get to see you guys around the community because of all the great work you do with, uh, you know, the Flames alumni. And I just can't help but ask you the, the the greatest chicken and egg question there is, which is, did you guys win because you loved each other so much or do you love each other so much because you won? Because there is just something about a championship bond that can't be replicated. I think when you win something uh... – you, you can be apart for years and come back together, and we experienced that uh, on the 25th anniversary, uh, and it was so cool. But to have eight of the guys live uh, here in the city and making our uh, Flames alumni, the Calgary Flames NHL alumni, so we invited people that would never get back to Philadelphia or or New York or, or Florida into our uh, alumni. And it has been uh, the saving grace and made us that much stronger. We have about 150 uh, alumni uh, in our uh, alumni association. We have, I think, 55 to 58 that played for the Calgary Flames. And to have those eight guys that live in the city, uh, even if you get two or three or especially uh, four at at different events and at all major events uh, that the flames put on or the alumni puts on all eight of those guys are there. And it is so cool uh, to be a part of that. Uh, We have way too much fun together. Uh, We did uh, (laughs) social, what the heck's it called? Uh, uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, Where, where you have a, a, party from afar a oh socially distant having party, a huh? brain cramp um and so anyway we had happy hour the other night uh, we had six alumni on and our wives uh and it was hilarious so we all toasted each other and it was pretty cool that is awesome laddie uh, great stuff from you i know pat's got another one to send you on your way but uh, just love going down memory lane with you guys in 1989 i hope you've you've caught the game a few times since i know it's been on tv a bit have you seen it you know i have never seen it but i could i've seen the highlights of it i have never sat down and watched the whole game in fact 
how cool is this? Daryl Sittler called me, uh, my buddy, uh, uh, Daryl called me the other day and said, uh, uh, Mac, y- you got to turn on, uh, on the game. Uh, they're replaying the game, uh, game six. And he said, all of his buddies were texting him back and forth and saying, wow, like, look at this. How cool is that? And Daryl was one of the first guys that called the next morning after we got uh, home and were desperately lacking in sleep. So I'm not even sure if I made any sense. But <laughs> having never seen it, I can probably play the game shift by shift over uh, in my head. And uh, it's so cool. Lanny, just uh, one last one before we wrap up and, and has less to do with 1989 and, and more to do with something that uh, I had the privilege to be in the building for, uh, I guess it, it feels like it was months ago, but I believe it was technically still this month in March, but uh, the Special Olympics uh, Breakfast of Champions. And uh, I know that uh, Special Olympics Calgary Director Kathy Urquhart uh, kind of caught you by surprise and left you a little speechless with a, a nice Lifetime Achievement Award. Just uh, a thought on, on what that meant to you, Lanny, when uh, it was kind of one of the last events we had in this city before the world changed, but uh, just your your thought on on that nice gesture from special o calgary you know it was it was so unexpected and yes i i was actually uh had my head down and and i had my back to the stage and when kathy was speaking and all of a sudden i think i'm realizing is she talking about me and then i was oh my god she is and it was embarrassing uh because Special Olympics holds such a a cool spot in my heart. Uh, They have taught me so much more than I could ever teach them right away. And Michael Backlund uh, said it best. uh, You you go there thinking, okay, uh, hopefully I can kind of help make a difference. Well, they're the ones making a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. And every athlete knows every stat of every sport inside out. And yes, that was one of the last events uh, that were here, uh, and especially in the building uh, at uh, Scotiabank Cell Dome. And hopefully before long, we can have another event uh, and get back uh, to playing and cheering on the game we all love. Lanny, always so great catching up with you. Just an absolute pleasure. Look forward to doing it again down the road, be it at one of the numerous uh, alumni events at the Dome or here on these airwaves again. Thank you. Well, if you guys ever need to, to be us a little bit, don't hesitate to call the number. <laughs> and I look forward to it. Uh, you guys take care and stay safe. He's the one and only, one of the greatest of all time to ever wear the Flaming Sea, Lanny McDonald, looking back on the 1989 run to the Stanley Cup and a whole lot more. He joined us earlier today on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available, calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. That interview is up right now on sportsnet.ca slash 960. 
360. It's the perfect appetizer for what's coming up just after 7 o'clock. We've got CBS Sports Radio coming up for an hour next. Following that, at 7 o'clock, it is the Calgary Flames and Montreal Canadiens from the 1989 Stanley Cup Final. Game 6, the biggest game in Calgary Flames team history. You'll hear that tonight starting at 7 o'clock. All of our interviews, Landon McDonald and Chris Johnston, both up at sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now for Pinder and for our outstanding producer, Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on Pinder and Steinberg in the Sports Drive at 5. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.